slot. All right, so I would like to introduce my man, my new barber, the homie, Percy the Barber, uh, that we got on the show. So thanks for coming on, my man. Yes, sir. Always, always glad to be here. You know, anything I can do to definitely, you know, help out. Yeah, I'm excited to have him. Uh, for everybody, basically the way we had met was literally last week when I cut the nine and a half months of hair that I had rocking and the facial hair. Um, you know, first beard action that I had. I had actually Googled some barber shops that gave more of a, I don't know, what would you call that as a barber? Not a full experience, but more of a, what kind of experience would you say that you provide? Uh, definitely a full experience, uh, in my opinion, but more importantly, just attention to detail. Um, and I, I guess just driving the experience, you know what I mean? Doing something completely different, but delivering a, a precision service and just covering all the bases and making sure you know, the client satisfied all the way, you know, 100. Yeah. So I would just kind of say it as like, not your great clips experience, right? Like I wanted to go, I wanted a full shave. I wanted a nice haircut and I wanted to look good. And he had what was called the luxury haircut that gave you facial steam, hot towel. What else was in there? Exactly. Uh, hot towel, beard sculpting, uh, a neck shave, precision haircut, um, as well as a signature facial. So it's a complete full service um, we're taking care of not only the hair, the skin, the scalp, um, and actually just, just literally pampering you. It's literally a pampering session, you know. But again, we're all about covering all the bases and making sure all the client's needs are met. Um, we really, really, really love to just, you know, what they, what they would call is like over-deliver, if you will and under promise and that's something that i do you know very well i kind of almost sneak that in so i kind of lead sales, you in it's always about <clears throat> under promise and over deliver right? yeah exactly <laughs> exactly so you know don't promise a whole lot out the gate but um as they come in and start to experience things you know just definitely give them everything you got yeah and i'll tell you i felt pretty good uh the steelers game was on because it had gotten rescheduled twice you know they're playing the ravens i'm hyped up for this game it's supposed to be thanksgiving night uh, doesn't happen, gets rescheduled to Monday, gets rescheduled to Tuesday, gets rescheduled to Wednesday. I have a barbershop appointment, and it's almost kind of overlapping, and I'm freaking out. I'm like, should I cancel this barbershop? I already planned it. Like, I want to get a haircut. But the game got over just in time. I'm feeling good, feeling myself a little bit. Never had even spoke to Percy before. I just looked up some Google search. It seemed like that kind of quote-unquote barbershop experience, which I've never had before. And, you know, I was hopeful. I was like, hopefully this works out and I could continue to come to this guy. But that experience, man, it definitely did give me a vibe, made me feel good. I felt like I had almost, you know, went into a massage parlor, gotten my um, full body just reinvigorated and got a, a fresh cut. So that was awesome. And we kind of vibed right off the moment. Uh, I was just kind of talking to him because... The whole point of me cutting my hair was a personal goal to get the podcast live and, uh, you know, working on that goal, I was about to accomplish it and needed to get everything done. So I was telling him a little bit about why I was getting my hair cut and he was super intrigued and you'd only been working at that barbershop for eight months, you said, or something like that? Uh, yeah, no, actually really close to that. I'd say like 12 months, 13 months. Almost so right pretty fresh. Um, but yeah, pretty fresh. Something that's definitely been a journey, a long journey so far, but it's been rewarding. Um, but yeah, I had just started there. It kind of actually happened almost as a miracle, to be honest with you. What it really was, there was a, a ad on Craigslist that just said station for rent. It didn't really specify a salon or what the situation was. It just said station. So I inquired about it, set up an appointment, showed up. Um, when I showed up to the location, I see the front of the building. I'm like, Bro, this is a salon. Like, this isn't 
this isn't a barber shop. This isn't going to work out. Um, so I'm literally about to leave. I kid you not. And I'm like, hold on. You know what? Like I made an appointment. Let me go in there and at least just fulfill the appointment. I know I'm not going to get it, but just don't no call, no sure. Just don't, you know, set someone up for an appointment, obviously bail out on them without telling them. So I went in there, did my due diligence. It was real brief. I'm on my way out. Before I left, though, I noticed the back room that she never showed me. Um, so I asked her about that. I was like, hey, you know, can I take a look at the back room? And she's like, it's not part of the deal, but, you know, <clears throat> I was like, well, can I just, just take a look? She's like, yeah, sure. So she walks me back there. Um, the moment I turn the corner, I literally see a window, a sidewalk, and a street. Um, and then my eyes literally lit up, and I just had an idea that, like, basically my vision was it's, it's a storefront business. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's like the back room, and it would be like a joint salon barber's type situation. But I just saw the opportunity of a window to a street and that exposure, you know, was big time to me. So I, I kind of seized the moment. And at the end of the day, there wasn't a lot of barbershops out here in Admiral. I really struggled to really find like, you know, like a real barbershop, if you will, just somewhere where there's shop camaraderie, all walks of life. Everyone just pretty much vibing, music, communication, just all sorts of stuff, you know, it's just pretty much where people go to congregate, you know, and, and relax. Yeah, I'll definitely, you know, plug into that and like what the, what your version of uh, what's actually a barber versus just a haircut here in a minute. But, you know, he was brand new in there. It was cool. We were vibing, uh, just talking connections and got to hear about his uh, mindset. So, you know, I think it was a week or two weeks. Here we are, you know, yeah. have him on the pod. So, you know, I'm going to have a lot of the connections out here that I find for you guys to bring them on. I do have good connections from just life experience, but I don't have an you know an unlimited number of those individuals in Seattle. Once I start doing mobile podcasts, we'll talk a little bit uh, to some people that I have outside of Washington. But it's just not the same experience as people coming into the studio, having the double barrel whiskey, you know, having yeah. the vibe relationship. So yeah. I, I love having people come in, but I'm glad you got to come in. It was it's a super cool thing to to see. And uh, before we get into his story. Got to give a shout out to Fueled Supplements, the company that's keeping us going. Um, my guy's back from Montana doing awesome things. So, um, you know, 2020, it, it's definitely taken a toll on all of us. Um, you know, they call it the quarantine 10, 20, or even 30 that might have snuck up on you guys like it was a like you're a freshman in college. Uh, don't stress, you know, Field Supplements has the perfect solution to any weight loss program. Select from their diverse line of products, including thermogenic fat burners to kickstart your metabolism. Energize and eliminate unwanted body fat to get you on the fast track to making 2021 the year you deserve. I know that I have uh, approached the team to get me some of this stuff. Definitely trying to check it out on some of my fitness goals for 2021 so I could keep you guys updated with my journey along the way. But with clinically tested and patented ingredient formulas, there's no guessing games with field supplements, full label disclosure, no proprietary blends, clinical effective dosing, and no fairy dusting, so to speak. You put in the work, and so does Fueled. It's really just a family thing. So join the Fueled family like myself, and you guys can enjoy a 20% off code with the code BUCKETS, uh, as in business and buckets, when you visit FueledSupplements.com. So once again, that's BUCKETS. I'll put the link in uh, in the Instagram tag or in the YouTube tags below so you guys can check them out. Uh, they have some cool product releases coming out in 2021, and they're really expanding their footprint. So love to see that. Check them out. Um, the... the Really, selection that they have is pretty unheard of, and it's uh, it's really clean stuff. So um, definitely check out Field Supplements. 
how about yourself? You, you into supplements, fitness, working out? I know through quarantine, I've had to <clears throat> change my lifestyle a little bit with the gyms closing and yeah. opening and closing again and going through that. But what's what's your kind of take on the whole quarantine and fitness and, and staying in good mental capacity? Um, yeah, I mean, obviously the quarantine is affecting people, you know, shutting down gyms. That's definitely not helpful. But yeah, I used to be... I mean, I used to play football, so I um, I was big on creatine supplements, dietary stuff. Um, but yeah, you really are what you eat, you know what I mean? So you got to focus on not only the supplements, but you got to focus on what you're actually eating. I feel like no matter what supplements you take, I feel like you could never cheat the game. You know, you always had to eat your broccoli and your rice and just actually get a good dietary intake, no matter if you took a multivitamin every single day. But yeah, I mean, in terms of COVID, it's 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 big on everyone, you know. Um, but just trying to develop a routine, and honestly, just understanding in today's day and age, um, the number one skill that you gotta have that'll always help you thrive no matter what happens is just the ability to adapt, you know. So if you're someone that has a very consistent, very thorough gym routine, um, and all of a sudden that gets shattered by COVID, and you know, obviously the gyms are all locked down. Um, yeah, you've got to be able to pivot. You've got to be able to adapt and just be able to go run outside, you know, if you're used to hitting the treadmill or hit the jump rope or just find a different way to get the job done and just adapt to the current circumstance. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's survival of the fittest, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a mental marathon along with a physical marathon, you know, um, it really is, but yeah, in, in terms of fitness for myself, um, <clears throat> that's something I'm, I'm going to have you lift this up a little okay. higher and pull yeah. it a little closer to you. Cool it out a little bit there you oh go. further no like this towards you oh towards me yep there you okay, go okay cool there you go cool fitness sorry i interrupted um remind me what was what were you saying again <clears throat> same what quarantine it's a battle you got to be on your toes pivoting um but yeah just you know doing just just adapting you know to whatever routine that you used to be in, you got to be able to, you know, find a new routine that fits in the COVID circumstance. But yeah, it, it, it's a marathon and you got to basically make sure you have your mental and your physical together, but just know that there is light at the end of the tunnel and it, it's just a marathon. Endurance, um, is something that you really got to learn about yourself. You know what I mean? And just how long you can really endure something. Um, so yeah. for me, kind of balancing the personal and the business life, it's, you know, really challenging because I'm just always at home, right? I don't get to go yeah. out and about. I'm a sports guy. I'm not going to the bars and having a beer for the game on Tuesday night or doing <laughs> whatever. So I've definitely had to change up my routine. And I'm really, you know, I, I was in a decent routine. The gyms had opened back up. Now they closed back down again. And I kind of had to re redo my routine because it's getting dark so early. And I could tell that, like, just staring at computer screens all day. This is my workstation. I usually have three monitors right here. I was just kind of wearing down on me and was just kind of tearing me up. So I had to change my nighttime and my morning routine, and I'm really focused on that right now. Do you have any like nighttime morning routines that help you get going in between just personal life and, and the barbershop? Uh, yeah, I definitely do. <clears throat> and honestly, I'll be, I'll be straight up. My routine is a work in progress. It's actually a newly adopted routine. Believe it or not, I found this routine on Instagram, but... Hey, all my stuff, hey. <laughs> you see something that works, you take the recipe, you implement it to yourself. But I like that you're honest with that. I mean, yeah. I, I'm literally just like reworking my routine. I have a goal set on Sunday to, after the Steelers beat the Bills on Sunday Night Football, um, to write down uh, some things that I want to do in the morning and make sure I accomplish. So, you know, mine's a work in progress too, but I think it's important. So Yeah. 
Um, but yeah, definitely. So it pretty much starts off with waking up, you know, I mean, I'm not big on time. You can wake up at 5am, 7am, whatever your lifestyle is, whatever you're trying to get done, but wake up. Um, the first mistake that most of us do is get on our cell phones, you know, right when you wake up and kill time, that's exactly what you don't do. So the first thing you do when you wake up is actually try and get, wake up and get into a meditative state, literally wake up, no distractions, make sure your phone's far away from you and wake up and have a brief meditation. Um, five, 10, 15 minutes. At best, if you don't know what meditating is, just focus and visualize your day. Plan out your day mentally. You know, mentally give yourself five minutes to prepare for your day, right? Next thing you do is you hit the gym. You hit your workout, high intensity workout. We're talking about 20 minutes. Get your blood going, get get all your extremities going. Uh, next thing you do, you take an ice cold shower, breakfast, and then at that point, you can hop on your phone, drink coffee, and go on with your day. But notice that having breakfast, and then you want to have your coffee afterwards. Coffee is something that you want to have at, like, you know, I know everyone's strict on their coffee routines, especially out here in the Northwest. We got Starbucks <laughs> out here. I can't out be, here. I can't be telling anybody when to get coffee. But, yeah, you definitely want to have coffee after a meal, and just a little bit later in the day as a boost to get you going, not what drives you and fuels you you know what i mean you want to get that good fuel and get that good nutrition before you you know take it <clears throat> take it in the overdrive with the uh, coffee there so let me ask you about the meditation because i think this is new for a lot of people you know for me it's actually pretty new i'm, I'm focusing on it and to be honest i'm not consistent enough with it i need to be more consistent and really get into it i did have a phase pre-covid where i felt like i was finally getting a good understanding of meditation and then all of COVID happened. But, um, I use the calm app is, is something that I use. Do you have yep. like a, yep. a practice meditation that you use or is it simply just kind of visualizing your day? Um, I do use the calm app that does a good job with the ambiance just to get you in that meditative state or just to, to enable and create an environment. The environment is key. Obviously if you have kids running around and just stuff in the background, um, it's going to be difficult, but before you really get into meditating, you really got to, you know, understand the mind, specifically the subconscious, and just how deep that is, and just how um, disconnected and connected at the same time, if that makes the conscious and the subconscious is. But more importantly, a lot of people can't fathom the depth of their subconscious. A lot of people don't know that their subconscious is far more powerful than their, than their conscious mind. You know, for example, some people talk about the third eye, but um, you really, really embrace things that you don't necessarily are aware from. So if the TV's on in the background and you might not actually be listening, you're still hearing that. That's still feeding into your subconscious. Whatever energies you put around you, that stuff picks up. Um, but yeah, ultimately what you're trying to do is strengthen the connection between your conscious mind and your subconscious mind because your subconscious mind is 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 really where the gold is. Like I And honestly, from I won't say... I guess from the research that I've done, I've been led to believe that your conscious mind is basically like one to 5% of your brain's total processing power. Most of the processing power that you can't tap into your brain is in your subconscious. But when you're meditating, you're really trying to isolate all those negative thoughts, all those extra thoughts, get to a calm and really open the doorway between the conscious and the subconscious and really tap into that. Um, and that also starts with visualizing things, you know, what you visualize consistently, what you dream, what you consistently imagine, 
um, over time, that'll manifest itself. You know, if you visualize yourself in a home, you know, five, 10 years, what well, doesn't matter if you just consistently visualize yourself in a home, you're going to take the steps necessary to make that come into flourishing. Um, it, it's a subconscious thing. Your actions, you know, it, it really starts with a thought and then that thought turns into an action. But every action is not an action of its own. Every action begins with a thought, you know, and that thought begins with the idea. It's all predicated, but just really embracing and trying to grasp how powerful your mind is and how much you don't use it um, is the biggest key to meditating. Like once you realize your mind is powerful and, and just you can just start to believe in that, then the meditation really becomes easy. You know, a lot of people don't want to submit to their own mind and realize, hey, I got something in here that's really, really powerful. A lot of people, for whatever reason, do not want to acknowledge that. But once you begin to acknowledge how powerful your mind is, oh yeah, like that, that meditation, like it'll come to you. And meditation can be in different forms. You know what I mean? But yeah, the calm map helps. Being in the right environment definitely helps. Um, and it's just focusing on what your situation is or there, there's different types of meditations depending on what you're trying to accomplish. You know what I mean? But a lot of it's just, it's in your heart and it's in your brain and letting your mind, you know, just tr create that own meditation of your version of your own meditation that helps you, you know, for your circumstance. I love that you bring that up because I'm super into the subconscious. I mean, my user, uh, my listeners and the squad is going to definitely hear us talk about that over and over and have already. Uh, so I, I appreciate that you talk about that. And for me, you know, I've had good mentors and obviously social media and different influences out there. If you want to look down, you know, meditation and subconscious, like you could find the, the, the data out there. But, you know, what got you into that kind of mindset? Because a lot of people will see someone like you speak of that. They're like, how the hell yeah. does this guy know those <clears throat> things? Like, did he have influences? Is it all just Internet search? So would you accredit that to just a lot of your own research and just interest and intrigue? Or would you say you had some mentors that kind of guided you into that? Like, what, where did that come from? Um, yeah, I would credit a lot of it to my own interest and intrigue. Um, overall, just, you know, YouTube, internet, but just, I, I'm one person to collect all the facts. Well, first of all, I'm one to, you know, always never take everything at 100% face value. You know, you always have to, I guess, question a little bit beyond, you know, if someone tells you something, you believe 99.9%, .9%, but you can't never take nothing for 100% certainty always, you know. Um, but yeah, definitely just, yeah, it's, it's something that I, you know, honestly kind of sought out on my own, um, is just getting into that meditation, just really understanding the mind and just really, um, getting to the point where you can factor in that, Hey, your mind is extremely powerful and you're, you're underutilizing it. The more you can utilize it, the easier life is, but you just got to be able to tap into it and just finding that doorway. Um, I remember, one quote, I think, I can't remember who exactly says it that motivates me, um, but everyone's got, let's say, a multi-million dollar talent, if you will, as an example. The hardest thing in life is to figure out what that talent is. The second hardest thing in life is to monetize that talent after you get that, you know, after you figure it out. So, um, yeah, it, it, we're all born with it. You just got to figure it out and, 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 and use the meditation as a doorway to, to let your subconscious just... Your subconscious is just a powerful machine that you just got to be able to control, but you can't. You know what I mean? You just got to open up. You just got to train yourself to figure out how to get more, I guess, processing power from your subconscious into your conscious mind. Because I'm telling you, your, your subconscious is extremely powerful. And if you can tap into that doorway and just get some of that energy and that vibe, 
you know, the, it, it, it's powerful. It really is. It really is. I've heard, I might have butchered this, but it's like thoughts become actions, actions become results, results can become dreams or whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. So definitely, definitely believe in that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's awesome. We got to talk a little bit about meditation, the routine, because, uh, you know, the world is an ever-changing place right now, and I think that's important for everybody to hear. Yeah. Um, but let's talk a little bit about your upbringing, man. I, I believe you're from the 206 originally, correct? Yeah, yeah, I'm from the east side. Um, I was raised in Bellevue until about eighth grade, and then uh, I moved up north to Linwood, Mount Lake Terrace area. Uh, I've been up there pretty much ever since. Did most of my damage up there anyway. So <laughs> went to high school in Mount Lake Terrace. I graduated in 09. Um, I played football. That was pretty much my primary sport and track as well. I was pretty good at triple jumping. Um, I didn't know I was until I actually tried it. And come <laughs> it's to find a very out. weird jump. Yeah. I mean, it's not oh, like oh. you just traditionally like, oh, let no. me triple jump real quick. <laughs> no, it's not. But once I figured out, like I almost went to state like my first year, I was pretty good at it. So, um, but yeah, definitely I was an athlete, you know, that kept me, you know, focused on the right things, especially at a young age. Um, and then after high school, I just... I just fell into labor, I guess, for lack of a better way to describe it. But yeah, I just started working right off the gate. You know, that wasn't my intent. That was definitely not my parents' intent. You know, they always thought like getting a second education, just going, not working straight out of high school, you know, just making the most of those young years. But, you know, that, that was the route that I took and I feel like I've made the most of it, you know, and at the end of the day, those are experiences that, I'll, I'll be able to leverage in other areas. You know what I mean? I guess what that did for me is it, it helped me pull my pants up a little bit quicker than other people, you know, in terms of just, just learning how to conduct yourself in a professional environment, just overall growing up, you know, mm -hmm. really. Um, so at, at the end of the day, you know, you can look at two 22 year olds, one's worked three jobs and has no college degree but three years working history and let's say customer service, bank, all sorts of relevant industries. But you have someone who has no work experience and a whole, you know, everything on paper in terms of a college degree, great this, great that, but they just don't have any experience. At the end of the day, I would take the person with the experience, you know, they know how to navigate life and, and, and that's, that's priceless. That truly is. They know how to be punctual. They know how to be on time. They know how to navigate a working environment. You know, if you're in an office, you know, you have CEOs, you know, managers, assistant managers, employees, there's a, there's a, there's a food chain, you know, in the corporate world and almost every world. So just being able to navigate that food chain and being able to understand where you are and where you're trying to get and what, what stepping stones that you're going to have to take in order to get there. Um, yeah, it, it's a real humbling experience, but yeah, that workforce, like you at McDonald's, you start off at crew, then you might go to lead, then you might go to shift lead. Like it, you got to work your way up, but that's, that's a process. That's a system that doesn't greet people well, you know, um, especially when they get out of school, it just might not necessarily be something that they're used to. So let's talk about your upbringing. So are, do you have siblings, uh, had mother, father throughout your whole picture in life? Like, what was that like? Yeah. Oh, definitely. I got two siblings. I got a younger brother, two younger brothers. Uh, one's 21, the other is 17. Um, but yeah, parents uh, in the family throughout the whole life. Uh, they're first generation immigrants. So they came here in 1992. Um and yeah, they've really been able to benefit from the American dream. You know, they came over with absolutely nothing. Where they come from? Ghana, 
West oh, Africa. Wow. Um, so they came with absolutely nothing. Uh, none of their credentials transferred over. My mom was a, a bank manager or branch manager. Um, and then my dad was like uh, school administration. He was like just kind of like the assistant to the principal, if you will, or, you know. Um, but yeah, none of that transferred over, you know, they had to start over from scratch. So just to see them, you know, work their way all the way up to, you know, being able to get a mortgage and, you know, obviously live somewhat of an American dream, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. That's awesome. That's really, really And they moved to, to Bellevue, see. Washington? Uh, yeah. Well, the situation... <laughs> seems kind of weird in today's the, world, but... Well, in today's world, this was <laughs> yeah. 20 years ago, so yeah, it's Bellevue, not the... I couldn't imagine It's not the old Bellevue, but, um, it was, uh, and it was a, what do you call it? The state-assisted housing. It was like a, I wouldn't say like a Section 8, but you have to have, it's a qualified income housing, if you will. Uh, but yeah, and that qualified income housing was like, honestly, the, I couldn't imagine where I'd be without it. Um, but that qualified income housing, it's a whole apartment complex, right? But that apartment complex had a Boys and Girls Club. So we're at the Bellevue Boys and Girls Club. Um, and they're, they're literally like, on the con so i'm talking about you walk out your apartment and the boys and girls club is a part of the complex and that was the case for several apartment complexes uh in the bellevue area and that honestly that was the biggest part of my upbringing because let's be honest my parents they were working you know they don't have anything that when you just get here you just have to work and you know you just have to work so yeah i spent a lot of time at the boys and girls club i was you could say i was raised by the boys and girls club but yeah that was a big part of my upbringing um, just experiencing things I would have never, ever experienced going to Mariners games, swimming, beach, pool, all sorts, all, all sorts of stuff. And this just, is like elementary school, right? Uh, yeah. All through elementary and a little bit of middle school. Um, Did you have just like all a, up until not a mentor, but what's the, what do they call it? Big brothers, big or brothers, uh, uh, girls club. It's like um, a, yeah, not a sponsor, but there was like a smart girls and good guys, but it was kind of like a Thursday night, you know, a senior staff member would take all the preteens out and just kind of give them, you know, we'd, we'd actually actually go out and talk about some real stuff. And, you know, they talk about puberty and just, you know, let's, they just break the ice on some of the things that you're going to encounter as a young man. Especially. So even though you were the <clears throat> oldest and only child at the time, you were kind of raised by a, a group of other individuals just giving you life experiences. Yeah. I mean, let's just be honest. Yeah. For the most part. I mean, I'm an only child, so I kind of yeah. just, had, my mom was a, a working mother I always tell everybody that I was the friend that was adopted to some of my best friends' families, and I learned <laughs> from them a lot while my mom was working. And obviously, yeah. my mom taught me a lot. Bless her heart. But yeah. um, you know, it, it takes a village to raise a child. That's yeah, definitely you're, a, you're 100% a, a factual right. statement. And you're one hundred percent right. Like I don't, I don't like that's just a situation. You know, mom has to work. You know, there's nothing that they can do about that. That's the situation. So yeah, it does take a village, and you, it's just crazy. You learn a lot of the. You, you remember most of your experiences from outside of your home more than the ones inside your home. It's kind of messed up. For, I know, right? I know, right? Um, and then how old were you when your uh, first uh, sibling was born? Oh. Junior high or elementary still? I think I was in elementary still. Yeah. Almost junior high, though. Almost middle school. Okay. No, I was in middle... Uh, yeah, I'd say middle school or late elementary school. So um, being a part of the Boys and Girls Club, having this foundation, and then being a brother now, and did you did, were you definitely the brother that kind of had to burden some of the load and, and helped show the way, you know, pave the road, so to speak? Um, well, it's so funny you bring that up. Yeah, I was the brother who 
had to babysit the other brother and honestly end up sacrificing a lot of time. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was weird. It was, I, I don't know. I don't want to say it was a difficult time for me, but it was a time in my life where I just wanted to, um, play. Yeah. I just wanted to play. Like we had football games every single Wednesday, you know, and I was a big part of the football games. Like I was their, I was the best receiver. Like, so we'd play amongst the other boys and girls clubs, but we'd play, you know, seven on seven, 10 on 10. And we'd have an all-time quarterback. The all-time quarterback would be the staff member. Right. And then you'd have 10 kids literally on a big field, all going out for routes and we're playing, you know, four downs. And obviously if you drop it and you don't get to yard marker X, Y, Z. So, you know, we're having a blast. So I was a big part of that. I was our best player. Um, so, a situation had arise where my parents, you know, the working schedule were just their work schedule just completely conflicted. So I was in a situation where I had to take care of my brother on Wednesdays of all days. One day that like, you know, we're in a 10 week season and we got to beat Hidden Village and Interlake and downtown Bellevue, like all these other boys and girls, like literally the thing is competitive, bro. It's like, it's like a tournament. It really is. And I wish we have I a had Super Bowl and everything. Up, yeah. So yeah, I had to watch my brother missed out on a few of those, but yeah, I, I, you know, Outside of that, yeah, when that was the most frustrating part. Other than that, you know, I, I understood my role. My parents drilled it into me uh, <laughs> over over time. But, yeah, when the season wasn't going on, you know, I, I'd miss some days. But it was great. You know, I, I, I learned to I, – I learned something at such a young age. It was crazy. I didn't think I could learn at such a young age. But I learned how to take care of my brother. You know what I mean? I learned how to take care of a baby. I learned how to change a diaper. I learned how to keep an eye on a toddler, like – I know that sounds so elementary, but that's not, you know, that's not necessarily easy. I mean, it is, <laughs> no, but it's, it, it's, it takes a whole nother level of attention. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's like, that's, they can't do nothing for themselves, you know? So you really got to come through. So that was a great experience that I definitely picked up. Uh, uh, I think it's something that I'm yet to use. I'm not a father at this point, but it's just, it, it, I, I really caught a grasp and caught a wind of what, you know, life is all is all about. A lot know? of life skills that you could yeah. probably translate today, right? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, the biggest thing I always know, especially from my management experience, is like the best way to learn something is to teach it. So as a young kid, when you yeah. have to be responsible to someone else, if you're showing them the way, exactly. you're obviously competent at that skill because you're showing them a skill exactly. that you already know. Exactly. Uh, but it also builds confidence of like, yeah, I'm showing this guy how to do it or yeah. my brother how to do it. Like, you know, I definitely am I'm capable of showing someone I can manage this process. So uh, that's definitely cool to think about. Um, but you went to high school in Linwood. You continued to play football. What positions did you play? Yeah, I played running back, corner. Uh, and a little bit of outside linebacker my senior year. Yeah, I like that. I, I definitely love the linebacker position. Get five yards of cushion to hit somebody. That, that was always yeah. my favorite as a middle linebacker. Um, did yeah. you, you know, you talked about the Boys and Girls Club getting involved in the sports at a young age, which is awesome. You know, I grew up in the middle of nowhere, so we didn't really have that. You didn't get a, you know, you just played backyard football until you were in of age to go to junior high and play actual football. <laughs> yeah. um, but That's kind of how it was. That's... That's how it was because I didn't play till high school. But yeah, I, I, high school was it hit me a little bit. Organized football because I never played that till my sophomore year in high school. Okay. I was a little bit late. Yeah, so that was more of an unorganized because I was bouncing around and my parents weren't always the biggest football fans. And I actually I actually played select basketball up until eighth grade. Um, and then, you know, I lost my jumper. I thought basketball would be I the thing, my, but I lost my you jumper. You lost list. your jumper in yeah. eighth grade? Well, True story. Okay, so 
I was I was a hooper and a football player. I was an athlete if as a kid. If you want, you can scoot that in closer too. Oh, so no, then you have uh, that back support if you want. I, I'm good. Um, I was a hooper and an athlete. Like I was, I was pretty much like just just that kid out of the pack that would just outrun everybody. I was just that athletic kid all day, every day, is it? up until like fifth, sixth, seventh grade, right? Until you start getting with older kids. But I was playing select basketball. Um, coach, I think it's Coach Win. Yeah, Coach Win. So I've been shooting one way my whole life. I'll be honest, as a kid, you know, when you're young, we were playing on the big boy hoops with the big boy basketball. So you weren't necessarily like palming the ball. You weren't really even shooting the ball. You were actually kind of like throwing the ball into the hoop with all your all your momentum with more of your shoulder and your body and just kind of hoping that it got in and then you just developed a rhythm. But long story short, I would always shoot the ball uh, and let the ball roll right off my palm. You know, I'd be literally palming the ball, let it roll off. Coach told me, you know, the reason why you're having inconsistency shooting is you need to palm the ball with the cushions of your fingertips. And I was like, what do you mean, coach? And he showed me, like, you need to cup the ball. You can't let the ball just sit on your palm and roll whichever way it wants to, inconsistent. But I'm like, coach, this is all I've been doing my whole life. And he's like, bro, trust me, if you want to become a true shooter and if you want to be consistent, you need to palm the ball. And so I actually had him for two years. So he told me that at the end of halfway, almost at the end of three quarters into one season, right? I come back the following season. My, that was my seventh grade year. He taught me that. My eighth grade year, I come back with that knowledge. I've been practicing all summer. You know, I, I was doing good. When I was practicing at home in my hoop and doing my thing at the at, at the courts, I was fine. But when I got in a game situation, man, it wasn't doing too well for me. Sound like Markel Fultz. <laughs> I mean, minus, minus the serious injury, yes. So the reality of the situation, when, when the pressure's on and the game's on the line, I'm doing what I always do and shooting off. So it just created an inconsistency. I never, I never had one way of shooting. I'd have two ways of shooting. It just threw me off. So, so you said screw it and just went football. Yeah, I mean, I kind of had to because high school, Mount Lake, Terrace had, Mount Lake Terrace has a great high school program. And I was like, yeah, you know what I mean? And I got to play shooting guard by, by size or point guard, so which is a position I'd want to play anyway. But like, shit, you got to shoot, right? Like, yeah. let's be honest. So, you know, and I, I, I was just like, hey, let's just try this football thing. I think that's going to be the route. And I, and I loved running back. Man, I loved Terrell Davis. He was oh, one of my dude. favorite players. Terrell Davis is up. the he, man. You know, like Shannon Sharp. That whole him, team was dirty. Yeah, that whole team was nice. And then another big inspiration, um, other than Michael Vick, was Marshall Falk. Marshall Falk was big on me, man. I like, God, him and Chris Berman. Marshall, Marshall, Marshall. <laughs> like, come on, man. Like everybody loved him as a kid. Like he, he electrified the game. Like he was our Deion Sanders. He would like. I, you know what I mean? Like, it was crazy. He he was just something else. Uh, and then he came out in the video game. Like, it, it, like he was one of the first pioneers to really do it. So Okay. Um, when you were going into football, though, did you have any aspiration of playing after high school? Or was it just kind of enjoying in the moment? No, I had every aspiration of playing after high school. I thought it was, I thought I was destined, you know, especially just being so dominant as a young child amongst you know my peers and stuff and I was one of the most athletic kids on my football team but I wasn't truly a football player I was just an athlete I'd much rather run around you than go through you I'd much rather figure out how to get the job done with the least amount of impact possible you know that's just kind of how an athlete plays not until my senior year that I truly 
become a pl- become a football player, play with a reckless abandon, and just you know just hit people for crying out loud, like hit through people. Instead so of was just it hit that people. you didn't have the experience or the maturity of a football player until it was too late that it was exactly. hard to go into college? I didn't play little league um, football. So yeah, my sophomore year, just the familiarity familiarity of having the pads on and the helmet and just seeing through that and just getting the feel of the game outside of the actual football, the X's and O's, I, I'll say, just more of the actual feel of the game. Having pads on and not having pads on is way different, bro. Mm-hmm. Like it's, you know, it's 100%. much, yeah, it's much, you thought it was, it's easy. And then you put those pads on, it's just like, well, even catching the ball up high and you're just, you see you know dk metcalf and these guys like how do you all do that but (laughs) you know they 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 did have they do have pads that allow you to do that so come to find out like extra large pads you lift your arms up (laughs) exactly so come to find out i didn't know that's what i had we had lineman pads we all did we all had those you know hundred dollar shut pads that everyone in the district owned and (laughs) it smelled like 88 year old leather and just come on bro is is our our equipment we didn't even have equipment guy bro like you see these college you see oregon they got like a multi-million dollar facility hired equipment staff shoes in every single size like a brand new jersey every single game like come on bro i worked in the equipment room at the university of montana which yeah. is a not even a you know real d1 they are d1 mm-hmm. but they're like one double a for football yeah they're d2 they don't yeah. get to play i got a letter from them yeah, yeah so um you know good program but it's like nowhere near oregon and their shit's you know state of the the union yeah. now and they got a new facility after i graduated college they got a new weight room all my buddies were upset about that and a new locker room right after they graduated but yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, the colleges, the, the foundation and the setups that they have put those guys a uh, recipe for success for sure. Um, so did you go to college after high school? or? No, nah, I mean, I did a little bit of community college, but no, that, that was it. I took like two classes, but no, I I just ended up straight up working. You know, I moved out from my parents' house and just started working. And So 18, you're like, I'm out. I'm going to figure it out. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I kind of had to. Yeah, a little bit. You know. Okay. Um, when it came to college, was that something that you wanted to do and like really wanted to get a degree and had an idea of a career or was it just kind of the, the pressure of society of like you needed to get a degree and it didn't work out for you? Like, what was that experience like? Yeah. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I was led to believe that that was the only route, you know, like that was the only route to be successful. Everything else was being undermined and just put at a much lower pedestal, you know, not put in the limelight. I'll be honest with you, but yeah, it, I was raised to believe that, you know, going to college, getting a degree was pretty much the only way to be successful, you know, the guaranteed way to be successful, the only legitimate way to actually do it. But I wish people would have told you about um, trade, you know, trade and um, more importantly, skilled labor, you know, putting that skilled in front of it. Labor is one thing, but skilled labor, that's that's on a whole nother level now you're a premium you know now your commodity is exactly what you are you, you can't bargain your prices you know you are you're, you're skilled labor you're almost irreplaceable you're just it's it's a it's it's just a different world you know what i mean um and on top of that you invest in your skilled labor labor so in one way that's ip you know what i mean that's knowledge no one can ever take from you like you're, you're they can fire you but they can't replace you you know what i mean you bring a level of value that is is intangible or intangible you know what i mean so yeah yeah i mean i like that you bring that up and kind of why i asked is you know 
during, uh, you know, I graduated in 2010, so I can relate, like, back in that day, it was like, if you don't get a degree, good luck, you're just going to be working hourly wages exactly. and just struggling through life was kind of the exactly. story that was told to you. So as a high school, you're terrified, like, oh my God, I need to get a degree, yeah. you know? Yeah. And uh, I told the viewers the story of why I became a broadcast journalism, shout out Cole Maxwell, my old math teacher and football coach, but... You know, I had a mindset on a degree, and I was thankful to get that degree in four years to just not have to go wishy-washy and give this college more money than I needed and had yeah. scholarships. But, you know, for a lot of the viewers out there, you know, if you are in high school, you know, uh, I, I highly recommend a degree, but it's also not mandatory. Like, if, if you don't know what you want or you don't have that clear vision, um, you know, maybe that's not the best route for you. And you, you should definitely try to speak with other individuals or do Google search of what options are out there because, yeah. like you said, trades or, you know, really just getting experience. It's a weird thing right now that a lot of big companies are kind of on the balance. Like, I, I think Amazon doesn't require a college degree anymore. Um, you know, a lot of big companies are starting to implement that. But experience is huge. Um, I have a lot of friends today that, you know, where I'm 28, they're probably 28, 29 get into your thirties and it's hard for them to get a new job when they change careers. Cause they yeah. have no experience. Exactly. It's like, I have this degree. I did this one job and that's the only experience I have. I don't have this life experience and all these jobs. Yeah. So it's hard to get a job cause they're like, well, you've never done this before. And yeah. then they'll hire a 19, 20 year old kid that's done it for two years. So yeah, uh, it's definitely a, a balance and a challenge out there oh, for sure. Oh yeah, it definitely is. Um, and a, a lot of things, a lot of, uh, what people lose sight of is, the ROI on your degree, you know what I mean? There's nothing wrong with a degree a lot. Most of the degrees are legit and they'll get you very, very far. In a lot of places they're necessary, but what is your return on investment? You know, how much is that degree costing you? Like a doctor, you gotta spend eight years in school. I don't know how many hours, countless hours, but you're investing, you know, eight years and $100,000 in your education, you know? So what is your what is your return on that initial investment right now? Um, and it's really not the capital. I don't see a big deal with having like a debt burden, but I do see a little bit of a big deal with having to put eight years of school in. I'm not saying that they don't need to go to school. Like I think they definitely need to go to school obviously and, and, and go through, um, the necessary, uh, steps that it takes to acquire that knowledge. But I'm just saying, unfortunately, eight years is just too much time to burn. Like one thing they don't tell you is time is the most precious commodity. They will tell you that you're young and you can keep working and you have so much, everything's ahead of you. But at the end of the day, <laughs> that's not necessarily the case. Time is your precious commodity, most precious commodity, whether you're 50 or you're 21. So if you're 21 and you burn eight years till you're 29 and then now you hit the working field, you know, that's fine and dandy, but just know that that's eight years of your life that you're not going to get back. That's eight years of sacrifice. You know what I'm saying? So at the end of the day, you have to wait eight years versus, you know, the rest of your life. And yeah, I couldn't imagine going to school for more than four. I made damn sure. And I, I struggled a little bit. I had to go into some teacher's offices and work some magic and figure it out how to get the grades I needed because I was so easy. busy working. But like... Yeah, I, I was for sure not going more than four years. I, you know, props to the people that do and that are successful with that because that's just a lot of money that you're giving to somebody with unknown, like you said, return or you can't get that time back. Yeah, and and exactly. Are you gonna get the return? I mean, I'm not saying that you you, you most likely will. Let's say you do get your return on your capital back. You can never get return on your time back. So I'm not. There's other ways to obviously generate capital. But more importantly, superseding all that is capital is not everything. 
like especially with the way the system is kind of set up like it, capital a lot of the capital is tied to lack of freedom is you know you're you're slaving your hours away you're giving away your time you're not you can't take the vacation that you want so at the end of the day like you want to bend toward freedom you know that's 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 what you know money can buy freedom of time you know what i'm saying it, it can it can it can free it that's that's all you really have time to enjoy with your loved ones time to just really enjoy what you love to do enjoy the gifts and the fruits of life honestly so just that's what i mean by time is the biggest commodity if you live for 75 years you're going to sleep for 25 work for 25 and have 25 years of leisure that's assuming you work and sleep eight hours a day but yeah you know what i mean so you got to figure you can't work 25 years of your 75 year life like who wouldn't you love to just have it 50 25 sleep for 25 years and enjoy 50 years like come on yeah i mean everybody has their own thought process around this i know my upbringing and you know why i love bringing people on and talking their stories everyone's different there's a different recipe for success you know i know people that really just busted their ass and it took them till they're 40 almost 50 years old to be successful and now they're massively successful but you know like my experience i've been working since i was 11 and i you know i you grew up on a farm where I'm from, you just work. Like, what did you do for summer? The sun came up, I started working. I didn't stop working until the sun went down. But I didn't even realize I was working. That was just my life, you yeah. know what I mean? So, like, I've been working a long time, like, technically, like, officially since 13. So, I'm 28, so that's already 15 years of my life. I'll wow. be working way over 25. Yeah. But I also found a way, you know, after college, I really busted my ass in Seattle and didn't get to see the city for what it was worth. I didn't yeah. get to meet a lot of people because I just work, 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 six days, 10-hour days. Uh, so it's just like a lot, but it's given me the freedom now where I'm in a good job and I've earned that to be in a time where I have money to mess around with and invest in my own personal goals and Definitely. have the time to be fle- more flexible and, and, and do things like this. Um, so, I mean, everyone's story is a little different, but I do think time is huge. You just got to understand what's valuable and what your vision of success looks like. Cause you know, your vision of success is a lot different than mine than you know, Joe's and sure. John's. So, you know, no one has the perfect answer, but you just got to find what what makes sense for you and what kind of lifestyle you're looking to live because it, I mean there is no recipe for success and th- to be honest the, the the path of each job and how you take that job if you actually take it seriously or you're just fucking with it or whatever yeah. like it's it's going to de- deter your path and where yeah. you go so um, there is no right answer but I totally agree time is so valuable and you know as I get older with all those you know yeah. hours and hard work it's yeah. like I'm definitely trying to invest more time in my life because it's yeah. like dude you know it's kind of weird once you get 30. I'm like, shit, I'm getting close to 30, but like, I got to enjoy life now because like your 20s are such a beautiful yeah. time and I busted my ass in my early 20s. So like yeah. my later 20s, I'm really trying to enjoy it. And you can just argue it's it's just so underappreciated amongst so many people. Like, man, if, if like people, $1,000 cash is not like people look at that one way, but let's say 20 hours of labor, they look at that completely different. You know what I'm saying? Like you should be looking at the 20 hours labor is way more valuable than a thousand dollars cash. Like we've been trained to just demote our time and just act like it's, it's worth absolutely nothing. And the money is worth so much more. Like if you went around and you, you, you know, you're shopping at the mall or window shopping and you see something, let's say for a couple hundred dollars, well, you divide your hourly wage and figure out how many hours it would take you to purchase that item. And then you might think about that item a little bit different. Oh, like, for sure. literally, you're talking about like, oh, I got to get 12 hours just to, I got to like, <laughs> I got to be on the, I got to work for 12 hours just to spend it in three. Like, does that even make sense? You know what I mean? So um, that'll help at least 
it won't obviously negate your you know your final judgment but it'll at least put some perspective to it and just really like understand hey you know like that's not a fair trade-off or hey i need to figure out how to make more money per hour that way i can leverage my time against somebody else's you know and that's what it ultimately is you know and scale. yeah i'm definitely in the multiple stream revenue stream yeah. idea right that's my vision to have multiple revenue streams because no matter how safe you feel one revenue stream is it's not i think COVID showed that to a lot of industries and a lot of people who thought they were good for potentially life right i mean there's a lot of people that had good jobs that you know just got taken away from swept under the rug because of yeah. covid you know god bless them i'm very grateful to be in the position i'm in but to be honest it's changing i mean people can get on instagram now and become millionaires overnight it seems like if you have the right ambition you take it seriously and you enjoy it you know i think instagram is going to be an evolving not just Instagram, but any kind of social media prevalence where you just live that as a lifestyle as like the young 20 year old that you see doing that. I think that's going to be interesting because, you know, what if that starts, you know, tapering down and you don't get the influences or the brands or what happens when you turn 35 and you go to somebody like, cool, I made X amount of money, but I spent it all because I was young and dumb and was having fun. Then how do you go into a firm asking for a job? Like, what did you do? Well, I just like had TikTok and was awesome and made a couple million and I spent it all. What do I do now? So I think, uh, you know, there's going to be after effects from this whole social media influencer that if you don't have a good job or you don't come from money and you spend it all, it might get tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of like professional a- athletes. I think there, you know, there wasn't really a recipe for post being a professional athlete. And now there is becoming a lot more of that. You see people getting into TV, becoming announcers, play-by-play guys, things of that nature. So the social media influence game, I think there's going to be some after effects that a lot of people will feel. And I think it's going to be an evolving thing. But I mean, shoot, we're talking about jobs in college. Like you could simply just be a kid on Twitch right now, yeah. right? Balling out. And if you do it right, you could save that money and live off your interests and do different things. So, you know, there, if, you, if you're really into something, just go for it and dive into it because you never know what kind of opportunities are out there. But always protect your money, right? Have that savings yep. and just make sure that you have a plan for what happens if this do- doesn't last forever. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you anymore, honestly. Because it's, uh, it's a crazy world we live in. I, you know, you, you kind of get jealous of the guys that you see like, <laughs> damn, this guy plays video games. And, you yeah. know, like uh, the ninja guy. He's yeah. living an uh, awesome <laughs> lifestyle. He's just playing games with Drake and all these other people yeah. and paid all this money. And it's like... I remember as a kid, I used to get penalized for wanting to play games. It's like, no, get your ass out, do some chores, get out of the house, which I'm grateful I did do that. Yeah. But it's just like no one really knows the right answer. Anyone could turn a legacy or um, a financial freedom opportunity yeah. into something they enjoy. That's true. So That's true. if you're really into it, just dive into it. But yeah. it's uh, you ain't lying. And I mean, from what I hear, Ninja's pretty good. You know, He figured out what his talent really was is, and then he figured out how to monetize it. So the hardest thing for him was to figure out that he's good at video games. The second hardest thing for him is to figure out how to turn the fact that he's good at video games into something monetary. Um, I mean, unfortunately, with the internet and Twitch and a lot of these trending things, like being the first does kind of help a little bit. Oh, yeah. um, but don't get it wrong. You know, I, I'm willing to bet you my uh, bottom dollar ninja paid his dues somewhere along the lines. You know, yeah, he's making great money today, but there was, you know, hours and nights and weeks that, you know, he did, he lost sleep or I, I guarantee you he put in the work that it took to build up his YouTube, build up his stream and his following, you know, whether it's getting better at his video games or, you know, reaching out to people, whatever, but he did something right along the way. Honestly, I find it almost hard to believe that like success is by accident. I, I almost kind of that it's almost mere impossible. Like a handout is something completely different, but 
I, I almost don't believe in success by accident. You know what I mean? And, and honestly, hard work is, is a journey. It's not, it's not a do, it's just, it's the process. Like what's the top of the mountain without the climb? Like really like it's the climb is what strengthens you and gets you like, it, it's just not the same. It's what molds you and actually gets you to the top. That is the top of the mountain is ascending through the climb. So to skip that part of it, you know, I think it's, it's, it just doesn't make sense. Fame doesn't happen overnight. That's for sure. No, definitely. <laughs> and dues have to be paid regardless. I, it's hard to like people hate and they talk smack and they're just like, oh, you know, he got lucky. He got lucky. Like, no, nah, you just, you can't, you just can't really get lucky like that. No. Like you can get, you can get a handout, but it's kind of hard, you know. But luck does play a factor. I'm not eliminating all right life, place, but, right yeah. time is my word for that because it's not yep. really luck. It's just timing. Sometimes you're in the right place or you mm -hmm. speak to the right dude and mm -hmm. they give you an idea. It's the right time and you just find yourself in that spot. Yep. Just like me getting a haircut on a random Wednesday. Yeah. Right. You want to be yeah. here. Right place, right time. Right place, right place. <laughs> yeah. Literally, honestly. Um, let's talk a little about your job experience. So we didn't go to college. You, you talked about work. What was the first job? Were you in high school working or was it post high school? Post high school. What was the first one? Uh, I was a bill collector. It was actually a call center job that I had applied for. But on the third day, I found out that it was good. I was going to be a bill collector. I just knew I was going to be on the phones. But yeah, that's how that, that's how my career started. <laughs> um, <laughs> not. Was that just like, I need a job, make some money? Or is that something that you kind of thought you would want to do? Like what, what the hell got you into that? Um, I needed a job to make some money. I just got kicked out of my parents' house. Um, but also more important, I, I guess they were one of the few places willing to hire, uh, without any experience and at a decent wage at the time. Um, so yeah, that was a the situation there, but yeah, I just needed a job. Um, it actually, with hindsight, it was a great experience. It was not a good job, not by any means during the time that I worked there. It's, you know, you're obviously getting chewed out and, you know, helping people overcome, you know, personal problems and life problems and, you know, financial problems, obviously, but, um, yeah, there's a lot of negative affirmation on the phone. Um, but yeah, over time, if you, it, it's a job that you'll, you'll know in the first week if it's for you or not. And then after that, you can, you can kind of get into it, see if you can't build a desk and, you know, build a wall that way you don't have to go home with all this negative affirmation every single day. But yeah, with hindsight, um, it was actually a really good job. It was a great experience. You know, it honestly helped shape my, financial future and I guess a lot of my experiences one thing I'm I've noticed I'm very good at in life is learning from other people's mistakes or fell forward or, baby. or, or experiences really um, so I've spoken with countless numbers of debtors you know debtors that are telling me oh don't ever get married oh don't ever take it alone don't ever help anybody out don't ever you know not look over your shoulder you know what I mean just I've heard so many sob stories and not even they're real you know what I mean so many life lessons that I've definitely benefited from. Um, and I, and I take those to heart, you know, I, I don't need to go through that experience. I don't need you to tell me that jail sucks to believe you that jail sucks. I'm not going to be like, Oh, let me go see if it really sucks. Like, <laughs> no, nah, dude, it doesn't work. Like I'm, I'm going to take that to heart. And that's something I've been pretty good at doing. So, um, yeah, with hindsight, it was a, it was a great opportunity. I learned how to talk to people. I learned how to negotiate. I learned how to communicate. I learned how to listen which is, you know, people don't know, like listening is, in negotiations, listening is everything because more often than not, the person talking just snitches themselves out, gives up all their leverage. So listening is key, you know, and knowing when to talk and 
not having any wasted motions or any any wasted breaths or just being able to anticipate your 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 person's move, you know what I mean? And just knowing all the information before you get into the phone call, just hitting your rebuttals, I guess is what they would call it, but just knowing your rebuttals down pat and just having them verbatim um, and standing firm, you know, just really standing on your own two feet and just just stand firm and don't waver. And the next thing you know, they fold and they pay the bill. But all you gotta do is stand firm, you know? If, if they smell fear, blood, all that, they're coming for you, but yeah. So you kind of stole my thunder. I knew we had a good vibe going when we were at that barbershop. You're thinking the same way I am. So I was going to ask you, you know, hindsight, it probably was valuable. So we'll talk about that for a second. But how long did you work there? Um, I did bill collecting, or I was a debt collector for almost seven years in grand total. I worked at that agency specifically for about four years. And then I went to another agency and did medical for three years. Um but yeah, just just those. Is there quite steps. a promotion? Like I'm not too familiar with that industry. Is there quite a promotion structure that worked out for you in that? Or um, no, it's it's all commission based. Mm-hmm. Um, there's great money. It, it you know if you can hit commissions and get your desk built up. So it's kind of like sales for bill collecting. It's exactly sales. It's sales 101. You're just selling people on paying back their debt, repairing their credit, um, and you know you're selling people on paying their bills. But the thing is, once you get your desk going. Um, you obviously have post dates coming in. So you have a commission entry point. Once you hit a certain number, let's say it was just to make it easy, it'd be 30,000 gross sales. Once you hit over 30,000 gross sales, then you get 25% of anything over 30,000. So if you hit 40,000 at the end of the month, you get, you know, 25% of that 10 grand that you hit over on top of your paycheck. So really your entry point would be 10 grand. Um, during the slower months, you might hit that maybe by a G or two, walk out with a couple of hundred extra bucks. During tax time, you can hit that by over 10, 20. Everyone pays their debt with their thousand. taxes. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. So you can run a 30,000. And then, yeah, that was my best month. I ran like 27,000 and my entry point was like 12 grand. So everything over that 12 grand, I was getting 25% of. But the thing is, these people are obligated to pay their debts. It's sitting on their credit report. So they're calling in to pay on a debt that you're getting a commission on that they had to pay because it's on their credit report. And they're just, it's a legal binding contract. They just had to pay the bill because they owe the money because they they racked up the charges. You know what I'm saying? Um, And yeah, we're in a great position. You know, the debt's been charged off, sold off. You know, once, once a creditor, you know, charges off a debt, uh, it hits their books as a as a loss on their taxes. So now you're not, you know, it's a whole nother game. Okay, that's interesting. So now I I actually didn't know that. Oh yeah. Um, when you were saying bill collecting and you're like, oh, it's kind of shitty. But looking back on, it, I was assuming you worked there for like a year or something. But you were really in that sucker. Oh yeah, no, I I, I was in there for quite a while and I developed some great bonds and great relationships. And, Is that what kept you um, going in there? Did you feel like you wanted to get better at this, or was it just a way to keep well, it was such a, revenue to like find something else? Or well, the thing was, one, I was probably complacent. It was a good paying job at the time, considering being, um, I guess, uneducated. Um, or just not having a degree, but I struggled the first year or so, but the second year I, I was in that medium range and that third and fourth year I was maxed out. So the, the, one of the main reasons, one of the sticking points with that agency is you get a pay raise based off of what numbers you hit. So if you hit those high numbers two months consecutively, you automatically got the 1650, which was the highest wage that they paid at the time. If you hit a certain number, you'll get $14. 
If you hit another number, you'll get, you know, $13 an hour. So it just depends on if you can hit a certain number twice consistently, you would get that pay raise. So it's very subjective, regardless of what your skill was, background, race, ethnicity. So at that time, minimum wage was like, I believe, $9 an hour. Um, so sixteen fifty was actually a boatload of money. Sixteen, like a rent on an apartment was like six hundred bucks, bro. So sixteen fifty was like three three thousand dollars a month. You know what I mean? So if you're rent six fifty, like geez, you're cooling. You know what I mean? Like so, it was it was a good, and you get commissions on top of that. And this is in Bellevue or up in Linwood. Oh, this up in Linwood. This amount, okay. yeah, right up in Linwood. So yeah, so you get commissions. Rent was still like that now. <laughs> I know you ain't lying. So imagine taking off a two, taking home a two, three thousand dollar commission check on top. Like, dude, it was yeah. good money. And you're just talking to people. It's on the phones. Like, you're, you know, you're, you're, you're mouth hustling. So you're not physically working. The potential and the swing on the upside, especially during tax season, um, outweighed a lot of the negatives that came with the job. Uh, how did your parents feel about you doing that job? Uh, I wasn't really talking to my parents at that time, you know what I mean? I just moved out. Doing so, your own thing. Yeah, I was doing my own thing, just trying to get solidified. But, yeah, I didn't talk to my parents. I mean, I, I, I kept in touch. Like, I talked to them, like, maybe, you know, six or seven times a year. But, you know, we weren't, like, calling or, you know, hey, how's it? it wasn't, you know, ever really like that. So I was just working, just grinding, you know, just grinding, grinding. It's funny how that works. I, I was I, I mean, I left the nest, right, after college, never went back home. But yeah. I was only 30 minutes away, but I never seen my mom in only 30 minutes away. I just kind of lived wow. my life. Yeah, I was like that, too. And then I like moved out too. all the way here. Yeah. And then, like, I can never see her, really, right, no. unless I go back. And I still don't see her as much as I should. Right. But it's weird how that works. Like, you just kind of grow up and you, like, either feast or famine, right? right. You either figure I, it out I, or you have to go back. I was 30 minutes away, and I didn't want to go back. That was one of the things I told Worst myself. nightmare, I right? told me. That's Not, what kept it was me a motivated. pride thing. Exactly. I that kept never, me super motivated. I would always tell myself, if I fell at life, I have to go back home. Like, it's not effing happening. Like, no. I want to figure it out. Well, and my biggest thing is my parents don't have anybody to fall back on. So Same. why can't I have that? Why can't I do that? Like, if, 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 if shit hits the fan... They're not going back to their parents. Like, we don't even have grandparents here like that. You know what I mean? They're first generation, so they have nothing to fall back on. So, like, that doesn't mean it's impossible for me to not have nothing to fall back on. But, you know, your parents, you know, probably just like, they just love you to death. And they probably love you too much and can't get that suffocating love off of you. That's all it really is, you know. But it takes years of maturity to come full circle and realize that, you know, you could have done As you get older, better. you realize where their headset, where their mindset yeah. was. Oh, yeah. Ah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I know, I know oh, where yeah. you're coming from. Oh, yeah, you definitely do. But <laughs> but then again, I, I, I can't sit back and tell you I don't. It's not that I would say I would do it differently. Like, I'm so grateful for those experiences because that shaped me to who I am today. Like, I, I highly doubt I'd be on this trajectory if I didn't go through that experience. So, yeah, it wasn't the right path, maybe with force of beforehand but like with hindsight now i'm just like that helped mold me that helped give me perspective at bare minimum you know and it helped me realize that like i i had nothing i i just i moved out on my friend's couch you know so i moved out with sales too so i i ran a painting business in college that was my first sales experience and then come out here and did sales right away yeah and i talked to my friends i mean a lot of listeners here are going to understand sales and the industry and how that works um, I live in Seattle. I, you know, there's a shit ton of sales jobs out here. Very financially, can do well. It's just kind of like that. I mean, it's a skill set thing. If you got it, you got it. If you don't, you don't really. It is what it is. 
Uh, but I like that you bring this up because I love relaying the message of sales because that's what's brought me to where I am today. And I feel like it teaches you so many life skills that help you yeah. grow personally and professionally. And when I try to talk to my friends that aren't in sales or in a corporate job or they have a degree and they fill in a specific industry or they're just doing manual labor or whatever, they're like, what do you do? Like, I don't get it. How do you make that kind of money? You're just fucking selling stuff. Like, it makes no sense to me. <laughs> and... You know, they really respect the person I am and the kind of the aura I bring. And that really has been from the hardship of sales. You know, I, the best way I could tell people is like, you know, going door to door trying to sell paint jobs as a college kid, not knowing what the hell I was doing. You get told no a lot. And a lot of people can't handle getting told no a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that was very hard for me. And it was a learning lesson. I had some mentors that helped me get through that, like Brad that I had on the show uh, not that long ago. But like, it, it's just kind of a, a real world experience that you can't, I think is so valuable and I couldn't imagine being a bill collector, you know, it is kind of a sales job. It's a little different than what I it's, did, but like, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a sales yeah, job. But sales is everywhere. You know, that's yeah, the that's first thing true. I'd like to say. And that's, that's so true. value. Cause I, I try to tell the listeners like, you know, sales is cool because it teaches you such valuable life lessons and you're going to sell yourself no matter whether you're yeah. in sales or not at one point in life. Yeah. I whether guess, it's an interview, a girlfriend, whatever. I guess it was sales because we were selling, we were selling dirt. Like, so it's what we were selling. So we're trying to sell someone on paying their debt. Now, keep in mind, this debt is anywhere from three to, on average, two to five years old. It's a charge off. So meaning they've had ample amount of opportunities to resolve the debt, you know, voluntarily. You know, they might have a dispute. They might disagree on it. They might have financial hardship. But like the people that have, the people with good credit scores, the people that needed a little bit of time, the people who just fell behind or it was just a boo-boo accident, all those people have paid years ago. This is like refusal to pay, bottom of the, like, this is Trying just... To sell them on have, why they need to pay it. Yes, but, and on top of that, these guys have had multiple hundreds of conversations. Like, it's... It's just, it's honestly very borderline almost on the level of a refusal to pay. So you're not talking to like prime candidates. You're not talking to people with good credit scores where you tell them, hey, it's going to hit your credit as an R9 key derogatory. And they're like, oh, oh, okay, let me go grab my debit card. I'll pay that right now. Like, you know what I mean? If, if somebody called you right, if, if someone was about to hit your credit over $200. Means, but yeah, I know what you mean. I'm if, paying that shit right now. Yeah, you're, you pay that because you don't need to lose 80 points over $200, bro. Like, no, who does that? You know I've started I mean? with bad credit after buying yeah. a new car out of college thinking I was cool and learned my lessons. Yeah, so the credit game is sensitive, especially... Pull that to, in a little bit, please. Especially um, to a lot of people... The credit you game. Just grab the arm. You can keep this. Oh, this arm. Like, oh, okay. Pop is close. Yep. Okay. Oh, there okay. you go. There you go. Um. So See, the. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I didn't know. Oh, like, yep. Nope. So, the credit game. Um, the thing. So, what that ties to is someone's integrity. Okay. If you pay your bills on time and you have a good credit score, you have you more more chances than not you have great integrity you're trustworthy you're honest you do the right thing you pay your bills you know what i mean so when people like when a bill collector i won't even say people when a bill collector calls and starts tugging at those strings you know what i mean like hey ma'am you know you signed a legal binding contract like you told us you would pay your debt you know what i mean what's going on like when they start prying in that area and and finances are sensitive you know what i mean and i guess what we do is at time as we poke at that moral compass you know on are you holding out on the money did you take out the loan with the intent to not pay back like i mean 
you know, you're, you can start badgering them and beating them around, you know what I mean, which is what you're not supposed to do. But uh, you're tugging at people's drawstrings. You know, you're, you're really hitting them in the gut, you know what I mean? And integrity is one thing. And your credit profile is tied directly with your integrity. Like, if you got a shit credit score and lots of repos and, and stuff like that, you're probably not someone that's super trustworthy, you know? But if you have a 700 credit score and paid everything on time for the past seven years, you probably are. But more importantly than that, um, you have something to lose, you know, when you have that good credit score. And on top of that, you have discipline. Discipline is discipline, integrity, all consistency, all of that are one big blend. You know what I mean? And and and, and it's just hard to kind of tug at someone in that area. So that was one thing that I learned. Um, and a lot of people have good most people have good credit and they do the right thing and they pay their bills and they they could agree with exactly what I'm saying. So when you attack someone's credit, you're attacking their integrity, especially if they have a high credit score. You know what I mean? So you can almost guilt trip them into paying their bill just because they want to protect their credit, you know, regardless whether they owe it or not. But that's a whole nother story. Yeah. I mean, my, the message I was getting out is just like sales being everywhere, you know, getting told no all the time. It mm -hmm. freaking makes you have thick skin that you could almost, yes. you know, like when a kid, every, when you're a young child, teenager, you're going through your first anything, your first love, the first breakup's the worst. Like, oh yeah. my God, my life's over. Like, we broke up. Like, I love that girl. It's like, you didn't even love her. It was your first girlfriend, so you mm -hmm. thought you loved her. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's the first time you touch the stove. It hurts like a bitch. You'll never touch the stove again. Right. When you first get told no, it's kind of brutal, and you keep getting told no, no, no. And all this time, you're getting people that you're trying to attack them on their credit. They're like, no, eh, probably like, you probably, probably heard some pretty frugal stuff, right, on the phone of like people getting a little aggressive. So I'm sure as a kid out of school, Right, not going to college, you're getting in this bill collecting job, just getting told a bunch of stuff that's probably pretty brutal. Just you know, they're not attacking you, but it's yeah, just the nature of the, the job. The negative affirmation, what kind of yeah. Things did that provide you as ammunition to help you to where you are today, or just help you grow as a professional? Um, well, yeah. So you're you're speaking on. So yeah, there there's a lot of negative affirmation. You're getting called, you know, all sorts of things, just f bombs, just. Your job's not legitimate. Get a real job. <laughs> like, no, not even kidding. Like, oh, like, I know. I can like tell. bro, like, there's nothing worse than being told to get a real job. Like, you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like, especially when you can't get another job or that is the best situation for you at the time. Um, but yeah, you just got to really learn to um, put that mental shield up and just understand that, like, truly they're not mad at you. They're really mad at the situation that they can't seem to be able to control. You know, they just feel helpless. Um, timing is, is is everything. Sometimes you just call people at a bad time. You just had a flat tire. Your 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 house is foreclosing. Like, the, you know, you could just be the last thing on that cascade. Um, you just never know. Um, but, yeah, it, it, it was definitely tough. But it also helped me to understand emotions and where to check your emotions, meaning, like, check your emotions at the door, where to leave them, vice versa, both ways. Don't bring home to work. You know what I'm saying? And don't bring work to home. Um, just leave those both at the door. When you clock out, you leave that work bullshit right there at work. And then when you get, you know what I mean? And just, it really helped me isolate those two and just, just not have to worry about just having so much hangover, you know, having my work day, you know, fall right into my, my, my private day because it wasn't good, you know, and just having that linger over. But yeah. Yeah, for me, I mean, I could totally relate. It just helped me not, never make anything too big of a deal, right? You go yeah. through your hardships, you go through the great days, you have the highs, you have yep. the lows, but if you just stay in the middle, 
you'll be okay. You'll figure things out. So um, that's why I kind of I wanted to ask you about that because I know for me, I want to be able to do as well as I do professionally or even personally if mm -hmm. I didn't have all those years of sales of experience, right? Yeah. When you, something about getting told no or yeah, go fuck yourself, get a real job, whatever you hear on the phone, it just does something to you that if you can overcome that, it makes you a strong person. Oh, yeah. Um, so I couldn't imagine you work, you said you worked there how long again? Or in bill uh, collecting seven, in general? Yeah, seven years. Yeah, that's a lot of a yeah. lot of hard-nosed, tough-nosed yeah. stuff, so I'm was, sure it's it helped was, you get it, that thick skin. It was a grind. It was a grind. Uh, another thing I learned is just the just grinding through the whole month. Um, we're talking about getting getting five payments on a day. Well, my department, like we did auto deficiencies and credit cards. So the payment ratio is far slower. The likelihood of you getting a payment on a car loan and a credit card are a whole lot less than a, a T-Mobile bill or a power bill. Um, so payments were few and far between. So just grinding through the month, going, you know, days without payments, but still hitting your quota, just, just believing in the long term. you know what I mean? And just letting all the days add up. So it really helped me just understand that like 30 days is a long time. A month is a long time. You can get stuff done in a, in a, in, in that 30 day period. I saw people who, let's say the goal was 10,000. They'd be at 2000 till the third week of the month and plow out eight grand on that last week. I mean, sure. EOM hits a little bit harder, you know, obviously you get a little, cause we're, we, you know, everyone's ratcheted up. It's EOM. But yeah, they, they pull it out of their ass. You know what I mean? So a whole month, you, you can get it done. Just don't don't get caught up in the highs and the lows um, of the day to day. But just stay steady. Keep your energy high. Keep consistent. You know what I mean? Um, it, it's crazy. I saw another post on Instagram. It was talking about, you know, people's goals or like, you know, a day trader's goal. It was like two thousand dollars a month. Right. Uh, or excuse me, a week. But on the chart, the top chart says people's expectations are what people think on that $2,000 a week. Oh, first day, 600. Second day, 400. Third day, 500. Uh, fourth day, 400. Just steady on right up to two grand. But in reality, what it is is first day, 1,000. Second day, 400. Third day, negative 1,500. Fourth day, plus 2,000. And then you hit your goal, you know what I mean? So it really, what I was really trying to say is, hey, there's a lot of highs and lows. But just keep your energy steady and consistent. Just plow through that month, and I promise you all those chips are going to add up. The viewers are going to hate me because I've said this 100 times. Right. Consistent actions equal consistent results. Yeah, you so ain't true. lying. You yeah. ain't lying. We got we to gotta preach what's true out here, you know? You ain't <laughs> lying. I, I got quotes for days out here. I'll probably <laughs> yeah. keep saying them over and over. But, I, I mean, they're just like core values that I've grown with and that have helped me be to where I am today so I can relate. Yeah. Um, so after that, what was next? What was the next next gig? Uh, next gig for me was uh, Olive Garden. Well, it was simultaneously. So I was bill collecting and waiting tables at the same time. So I was working at a medical collection agency. Um, Monday so through Friday? I, yeah, I was there part-time Monday through Friday. I'd be there from like 7 a.m. till about noon, 1 o'clock-ish. And then I'd, I'd bounce. I didn't start waiting tables till like 4 or 5 in the evening, but... That's kind of how I did that. But yeah, the next gig was Olive Garden. Um, one of my buddies told me to apply. I didn't want the job. Like I, one, when, so one of my buddies called me, he's like, hey, I got this new job. I'm, I'm like, he's like, it slaps. It makes a hell of money. I'm like, bro, what do you do? Let me in. What's, what's, what's the <laughs> scoop? He's like, bro, I'm a server. I'm waiting tables, bro. I'm like, oh, you are? I'm like, okay. He's like, yeah, bro, the tips be slapping, bro. I be getting hella tips. That's what he, I vividly remember him telling me that. 
I'm like, bro, are you sure? Like, you're a waiter, dude. He's like, yeah, bro, there's tips, the tips. There's hella money in tips. Just apply. I'm at Olive Garden, bro. And he's just, he's telling me about all this other extra stuff that he does, you know. Shocker. He's doing some, some of his coworkers. I guess, I guess he got some coupon little scandal going. But anyways, there's great tips there. And he was encouraging me to go. He told me there was money, you know. And it's easy money and it's quick. I Because the thing with the bill collecting job, um, Two days were long days, like 10-hour days. And then the other days were like six and a half, seven-hour days. But it was just 40 hours a week, nonstop. You had to get your hours. Like, you know, they'd get upset if you missed days. But they needed people on the phones. It was that type of a set a setup, you know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, he's like, you know, you work a few hours, make a couple hundred bucks, and you go home, you know what I mean? So um, I initially I applied. They reached out to me. They're like, hey, we want to interview you. And I was just like, no, nah, I'm not even interested. And then they followed up with me a month later. They were like, hey, we're still willing to interview you. And I'm just like, I was just like, okay, whatever. You know, just gave it a try. And yeah, just started waiting tables at Olive Garden. That's how that, that's how that pretty much started. More sales. Yeah, I was pretty bad at it too. But you're selling yourself, getting those tips, right? Yeah, oh, I was pretty bad the first, I wasn't getting no tips. <laughs> the first three months, I, I was not getting any tips. I, my first table ever, I spilt a milkshake. First order, like, out of training, well, I'm still in training, but I'm out of orientation. I'm done signing paperwork. I'm done going over the manual. Um, you know, I got my apron, got my name tag on, like, this is day five of seven of training, you know what I mean? We're going to do some, we're going to do some fundamental walkthroughs. So, you know, I got my trainer behind me. I take my first, I greet myself or introduce myself, whatever, greet the table. Um, I greet the table, you know, whatever, come back with your server sequence. I'm taking their drink order, first ever drink order, you know, it's a Coke, a Sprite and a, and a strawberry smoothie. You know what I mean? No problem. Easy. Wrote it down. Went to the computer. Took me 30 minutes. Easiest thing on earth. Or not 30 minutes, but it took, me like, him, it took me like 30 minutes to ring in the order because you're so paranoid. But not that long. But it took me a while. But you ring in the most, a three-second order in 30 seconds. But rang it in. Went to the bar. Got the drinks. You know, I'm carrying everything on the tray. I'm walking down this little baby ramp or whatever. Heading toward the table. Um... And as I get to the table, I'm like, cool, you know, I'm doing this. Like, my trainer's here. Everything's cool. Uh, I arrive at the table. I got three beverages on a tray on my left hand. So I hand the gentleman. It's a it's a party of three. It's literally, like, a mom, a dad, and, like, a 16-year-old son. Uh, so I hand the mom a Sprite, hand the dad a Coke, and then as soon as I hand the dad the Coke, I just felt something in my left hand, like, just something wasn't right. And as I'm reaching out to set the Coke down, this milkshake just topples off of the tray and just spills and falls right onto the floor to everyone. Um, and my trainer's like, I look at my trainer like, what just happened? Like, like, dude, this is your fault. He's like, nah, dude, we're not supposed to teach you about gravity. Like, you took the first drink off. And then, <laughs> that's literally what he told me. That's literally what he told me. He's like, like I thought you would at least know. But that's the, how you know he works at Olive Garden. He doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> but literally, the tray—you know—the drinks weren't evenly set up. So when you take two off the left, it's gonna be obviously top heavy on the right. But I'm more nervous about making icon and landing the drink on the table. This is my first, you know, drink run ever. So yeah, that didn't go too well. But yeah, they were cool about it. You know, they already know. Hey, he's training. Blah blah blah. But yeah, first order ever. First drink order ever. I spilled a smoothie all over this guy's shoes. You know, we had to clean it up. It was all bad. But, 
Yeah, dude, it was it was rough pickings. I was on two tables for three months. How long did you last at Olive Garden? I actually ended up working there for like two and a half years. So how old were you when you let when you were working both jobs? God, I want to say I was like twenty, maybe like twenty two. 22, 23. So to put this in perspective, I graduated college college in four years. So at 21, I had started, or wait, let's see. Yeah, 21. I had just started my first job post-college, right? Yeah. And you've already had seven years of experience in your bill collecting job working a two-time job now, or two two jobs. I was, I was in the, so yeah, I would be, I'd be like four and a half years into bill collecting at that point. Uh almost five years but yeah i did bill collecting and worked at a restaurant i did that for like almost two years and then you quit them both at the same time yeah that's when i found salties that's when i landed at salties because we'll salties go to that in a second. was obviously both of those incomes put together <laughs> yeah. um so um but talk to me a little bit about the lessons that you learned at olive garden because being a server i think is awesome experience did you ever get to work at the bar and be a bartender as well or is it just serving no, just serving. They didn't trust me behind the bar. Well, I've always wanted to be a bartender because I think I would crush, make a great experience, and I think it's a very valuable experience. But, you know, looking back at Olive Garden, do you feel like you've learned some lessons that's really helped you to where you are today and maybe some social skills or personal skills or anything like that? Uh, yeah, definitely. I learned um, how to sell, you know. Um, believe it or not, I learned how to finesse. There was just... A lot of finessers at Olive Garden. What does that even mean? Finesse. Just someone who would just work the system. Just, I wouldn't say take the shortcut, but I guess if you could, as an analogy in football, there's like a power running back, like maybe like a Jerome Bettis that'll run right through you. And then there's a finesse back, kind of like a Marshall Falk who will just kind of run around you. You know what I mean? So just always kind of looking for the run around or looking. (laughs) I guess a shortcut would be one way to say it, but like just one way to quickly get the upper hand like you can finesse your wine sales you know what i mean you can you can coupon this you can do that you can trick the guests it's just little 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 things to kind of like i guess make your life easier and still achieve the I maximum like all of gardens the basic bullshit though like it unlimited is. breadsticks and salad what the hell are you finessing out there what, what's going on oh you're definitely finessing the portions definitely uh, oh, yeah. um like i guess as an example you're supposed to you're supposed to only offer like one sample of wine. Um, you can be nice and pour a super fat sample, like a half glass. So that'd be one way of kind of finessing the system. If they, you know, guests see that, they're like, it's supposed to be like oh, to a get sample. tips and stuff. Yeah, that and just you know, just ways to kind of work the system and just to kind of get it to benefit you. There was just all sorts of little things that they did here, just little shortcuts, I guess you could call it, but you know, overloading the breadsticks. You're only supposed to give the number of people plus one. But, you know, if you're a real OG, you'd sneak out with, like, two baskets of breadsticks. Why? Because that's one less <laughs> refill. That's one less refill that you got to do. You know what I mean? Just kind of like, they had a lot of strict, pro- they're a corporate company. Like, their protocol is written from the highest up, and it just it just falls all the way down. But a lot of people don't follow it. Like, they have a lot of rules, but it just doesn't seem realistic like there's there's no way you can only take 
you can you can take three tables at a time or your plate they just had so many rules and limits and it's just like no nah, you got to bend the rules and the limits just a little bit so here's a fun question put me in an olive garden lens in the mindset you're working a table comes in this is the table that you're like holy shit i'm about to make some tips about to get some straight cash up money on my tray tonight so i can do x y and z what does that party look like like what's the fucking money party um, I mean, honestly, with hindsight, there is no money party because everything is just the amount of work that you're putting in. But the money party would be like a six top, you know, let's say an affluent Caucasian family um, as an example. Um, everybody would order a Coke or, or a Pepsi product, not necessarily Coke. Like I mean, we're just talking like Coke yeah, products, yeah. like Coke, Sprite, Fanta. Uh, the Coke Sprite fan of there is like three ninety nine, but that pads the check. So at the end of the day, the average entree is like fifteen bucks. So if they get a beverage, that bumps their check average per person to like twenty dollars. But if you get like if you came in and got water and soup and salad for eleven bucks, that would hurt. But if you come in and get a tour of Italy for twenty two bucks plus a drink <laughs> and get up to thirty dollars, that makes a world of difference. But yeah, you get a lot of those. So you get a little six top and you know, their bill rings like a hundred and and $68 like that's you probably made about 32 trips to the table I'm not even kidding you like Damn. you make that many trips to like just in the sequence of serving and going through if you were to go through all the server sequence steps you'd make a minimum about how many trips per table that's crazy at Olive Garden yeah you'd make a minimum of 11 to 12 step trips to the table just if they were the least neediest table of all time but yeah you're making hella trips on there you know you're going back and forth so it's a lot of work but yeah so you know their bill's 168 and they leave a 32 dollar tip you know that's 20 percent, 200 bucks is what they spent grand total they're leaving with you know hella breadsticks and take-home food for days they're stuffed you know what i mean they had a they had a blast but yeah that's that's the <laughs> ideal that's that's, that. <laughs> that's 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 the ideal table bro like bro, that's that the money with the off guard come on with some friends and some food let's go bro the ideal table some well, people that's like a friday night yo it was it was a friday night to them bro especially sometimes when you drop the check dude bro then it was really up, a friday if we're night olive garden that's like holy shit yeah like where I grew up, there is no fast food. Like, you're in the middle of motherfucking nowhere, bro. <laughs> you got home-cooked meals. If we go somewhere and get Olive Garden, it's yeah. like, damn, bro. Yeah. I remember when fucking movie rental places, like Blockbuster were a yeah. thing. You'd be in that bitch for like an hour arguing with oh, your yeah. mom, but it was like the place to be. That was the spot. All right, so on the flip side, let's say it... Did you work weekends at Olive Garden or only week, yeah. weekday evenings? Yeah, all, all day, every day. What's your favorite week weekend evening? Friday or Saturday? Um, yeah, I think Saturday. Well, Saturday was the busiest. Friday was no, like, like the personally. Like, what was your day uh, at that, that age? Like Saturday night, that's my night. Friday night, that's my night. I want to turn up or do something. Um, to work. I mean, I like Thursday because, like, man, Thursday. I don't know. Maybe it's because Thursdays were those gel days. Because, like, man, if you can hit on a Thursday. No, I'm, I'm not talking about work, just personal life. Oh, What's personal. Like, what was your favorite day of the week or the weekend that you looked forward to as a, what were you, mid-20s at this time? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I guess maybe the weekends in my early, well, in my early 20s, I'd say like Friday, Saturday, you know, I'd go out, hang out, socialize with my friends, you know, whatnot. Um, yeah, that was, you know, nothing out of the ordinary. But as I got older, then as I, when I hit that two job point, 
when I was doing the 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 OG and the the collection agency at the same time, it was just there was no day. Dude, I was just straight working. You know what I mean. And then when you get to that point, like any time off is good time off. You know what I mean. Like any time off was kind of like a vacay. So I guess I didn't have a sp- a set day, but I was working a lot. I was Did working. Did you work kinda, Sundays too? Yeah, I was work. Oh yeah, definitely. I was working all day every day. Like well, let's say work. it's a Friday night. Yep. What time do you guys close? OG, like 11, 11.30. OG, I've never heard of all of them. All of them, yeah. OG. 11? Yeah. So let's say it's 9 o'clock. You have the opposite end come in. You have the table that you're like, damn, I'm probably not making any fucking money. What's that table, or what's that group look like? Man, it looks, it, it could look like, honestly, more often than not, it would just be like a, a, a table of teenagers. You know what I mean? Three, four teenagers that just don't look like they have any money what's the option there do you get to choose what section they go in based no. off being the first server they they get put in your section your shit out of luck the hostess determines where they sit so you got to develop that rapport with the hostess just to make sure you get good tables all night you know what i'm saying but yeah it's all on the hostess the hostess is the one that determines that but sometimes the hostess has no control your table might be the only open table in the restaurant they gotta seat them there or you're next in roto or whatever the case may be but but yeah and they ain't tipping shit. Oh, they ain't tipping shit, bro. It's just, <laughs> well, when they come in, like, man, I mean, it's been so long, it's so hard to remember. When they come in, like, you know, just not ordering, they don't even want Coke or Sprite, they just want water. And then they're like, they're asking for breadsticks. They're more focused on the free things <laughs> yeah. than the actual entrees. I'm like, hey, you guys getting anything for dinner? I'm like, oh, no, we're not. But, you know, can we start with some bread while we're thinking? I'm like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> so you bring out some bread. I'm like, can we get some more bread? We ain't decided yet. Like, so. <laughs> Damn, bro, you're just eating straight bread out here. So here's the thing. So here, here's the come up, bro. So at OG, you get free soup or salad. Not free soup and salad. It's soup <laughs> or salad. But they try and say free soup and salad with your entree. So when you order your entree, I mean, sure, it's built into the price, but that's beside the point. You get a complimentary bowl of soup or a salad basket for the table. You know, everyone can get a little bit of salad while you're waiting on the meal. If there's three people all ordering salad, there's just a little bit more salad. It's never ending. It's bottomless. What they try and hit you on is, hey, I haven't decided on my entree yet, but can I go ahead and start with the bowl of soup or the salad? Just as you would, you know, like just bring it out like it's free anyways. Um, so they go through that maybe a round or two, you know, stall by some time and end up not ordering an entree. And then you're just like, bro, you just got a whole bunch of free soup and salad. and Or you just order like a little side of breadsticks and like, oh, I got to go all of a sudden. You know what I mean? Like that would be a, a, a really shit situation. A situation <laughs> that you just do not. Like how do you come in, pretend like you don't know what you want to order, beg for the appetizer, the complimentary appetizer to come out while you need more time to order, and then end up not ordering an entree. So like your bill's like $7. Like we just charge you for some sauce and shit. You know what I mean? It, it, it can be really frustrating. And there, you only get three tables. You know, if the manager, if you're finessing the system, you can pick up a fourth and fifth table if, you know, that's a whole nother story. But yeah, you know, you're, you're in a three table section. So that's 30, 33% of your income is gone, you know, just by that alone. So yeah, that matters. Sections also matters. If you're in a section with big booths where you can have parties of six, that helps, you know. If you're in a section where you only have two tops and it's just low rinky-dink tables, that sucks. Do they just rotate sections or do they just assign you? They rotate sections. And other sections are way better 
and then some. Yeah, see, I've never worked in that, so I've never... Yeah. I mean, I've kind of conceptualized just by guessing yeah. how the system works, but yeah. it's good to hear. And then another thing is some <laughs> sections are closer to the kitchen than others. It just seems like the sections that are further, like, the ticket times were longer. Like, it'd, be, it'd take longer to turn your tables. When you're close to the section kitchen like the food comes out a little bit it's a little bit more rhythmic and it's all about timing like because your tables have to get up so you can get that second turn and that's also about timing too so if someone comes in at four they gotta be gone by six because you know six is you know there's a whole nother table coming in so if they come in at four and hang out till seven when they get up at seven there might not be a table at seven because the push is at six or whatever the case may be so you know, getting your turns in and then getting timing is, is, is also important. Well, I believe that customer service in general is just great skills. What do you feel like were some of the biggest takeaway skills that you got from OG? Not all of them, OG, <laughs> that helped you be successful? Um, or that's helped you today? There, I mean, just definitely having patience with people. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was just... It was more in the numbers game, you know what I mean? It's kind of pinpoint. It's kind of hard to pinpoint one specific location. You take so many tables and just go through the same thing over and over. But yeah, you definitely learn, you know, to deal, treat everyone fairly, but not the same. You know what I mean? Um, and just no areas of need, no areas where you fall short. You know, um, I'll be honest. Let's just like, we'll be a manager. You know, they'll see, let's say a very urban or, or hood black table or whatever. And then, you know, they'll, they'll look at their wait staff and just be like, Oh, well, you know, I think you would be best suited for this ta- for this situation. You know what I mean? There could be a hostile table or a hostile situation, but yeah, some servers have, you know, other strengths and weaknesses that other servers don't. So um, there are servers that are a little bit better equipped to handle certain situations. Cause let's just be honest, we're all different. We all have different perceived values and expectations, and we all approach eating dinner completely different. So it helps to just have a diverse group of staff, just someone who can be a ninja and just, you know, just deal. Some people are just are, are, are just fucking rude, excuse my language. Like some people just have zero manners, zero courtesy, you know. So it takes another level of server to deal with that. Like you might have, you, you might need to put a server on a table that has a higher tolerance level because they're going to get some bullshit. Like some tables straight up like, abuse you like i'm not saying they don't say please and thank you like i'm talking about like ayo like just like they treat you like you're not a human being like you're literally a slave bro like you know it's it's crazy um but yeah in terms of picking up any skill customer service yeah you definitely pick that up you you integrate with so much but you learn how to communicate with difficult tables um but you also learn to see things in advance you see things breaking down you see things falling um there it's like you know you can, it's like watching a car accident happen, but you can actually intervene and do something about it. You know what I mean? Um, and there's great opportunities for turning things around. Um, that's one place you can really turn things around is in a restaurant, in an eating environment, in a dining experience. Um, they, there's lots of opportunities. Sometimes one thing I've learned in a, in a phone call as a bill collector, not, not as many opportunities to turn things around. Once the phone call goes sour, it goes sour. But just because the hostess rubs a person the wrong way or the first server doesn't do well, you can put another server. You can still save the experience. You know, you can screw up to the end and bring out a cake and just save the whole thing. So that's one thing I've learned is just 
um, yeah, customer service all the way through and just you have an opportunity to turn someone's experience around. Don't give up just because it doesn't start off on the good foot doesn't mean it can't end on the right one. And honestly, that last that lasting impression weighs a lot more than mm-hmm. that first impression. Yep. Um, you know, just like to relate that because a lot of people get put in jobs and like, ah, oh, fuck this job. I'm just doing this to make money. Like I hate my life. But like, if you look at the positives in it, you usually can take some skills that you'll maybe not right away, but eventually, you know, in the next job and maybe two jobs or whatever happens, will put you into a position where like, ah, oh, I could use this experience that I had. I can, you know, now I have this experience and it's helping me in this position. So, you know, always look at the limelight there because I don't, you know, I'm sure there's shitty jobs, there's worse jobs, but any job is an opportunity for you to sharpen your skill set. And I think that's very powerful, the lens you look that way. Exactly, exactly. And it's all about you looking at it that way and just perceiving it that way. You know what I'm saying? It's all about how you look at it glass half full. You know, as long as you look at, if you can look at life as a learning lesson, as an opportunity, like this pandemic is a prime example. You know, everyone's complaining about 2020 and this and that. Sure, you know, rightfully so. But at the end of the day, it's a learning lesson. You know, a lot of y'all should have, you know, learned to not get caught with your pants down financially. You know what I mean? You got to save for a rainy day, pandemic or not. You know what I mean? A lot of us could have learned that, hey, you could have picked up a job, a career, a language, a, a course, whatever it is, you know, during the downtime. Like, it's a learning experience. You know, just learn to prepare that nothing's guaranteed, not even our way of life tomorrow, you know. No one saw the pandemic coming. It was, it was, no one, no one could have fathomed a more disruptive thing. Like nobody knew that our lives could be this much of a disruption with just one pandemic, bro. You know, shutting down sporting this is leagues. It's a fucking Black that. Mirror yeah. episode. That's what I think. Of. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 it's on a whole nother level, but it's a learning opportunity and it's an experience that can help. It gives you perspective. Like the pandemic, pandemic helped me a lot. It helped me see that I can create wealth with my hands. It helped me see, it helped me see a whole nother side of value to myself that I never knew existed. You know what I mean? So you just got to look at, look at the silver lining and and see where you can learn. Yeah. I was talking with one of my previous guests that really the idea to me on the pandemic is the people that are strong and do get through this will be better people to learn stuff about themselves that they didn't know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's going to help some main industries such as education, like schooling, I think is going to drastically change. That'll be for the better. I think um, industries such as maybe medical, right? Healthcare yeah. hospitals, the oh, funding, yeah. lack of funding, things of that nature. Um, don't have to go down that whole ramp. But I mean, yeah, I mean, the pandemic's definitely going to show limelight on things that we just kind of threw away or threw by the side and then really give a shit about. Like, yeah. oh, we really got to focus here. Oh, yeah. Um, OG, working there, working debt collecting, really grinding. And then you ended up at Salties, which real quickly, I'll explain Salties for the viewers. Primetime, Alki Beach. My, in my opinion, I'm not from here, so I'll ask you your opinion, but the best view of the city is on this water side in West Seattle on the beach that you can see crossways into the, into the uh, city. And it's nice because you get the whole skyline, you get outside into the ocean, you get the Space Needle and you get uh, Queen Anne and, and that old school area, which is one of the oldest parts of the city, which I think is very beautiful. I think a decent view that might potentially compete against that is coming from the north side, south end of the city, because you get to see South Lake Union, all the boats in there, like on a nice sunny day, that right. is hard to beat. Right. What's your favorite view of the city? Um, I actually like that north end, that north coming in south on that Lake Union. I think that vantage point is a little bit more of a resemblance. It has more to do 
with an inner Seattle. So if you're from the area, if you're an inner city kid, you know what I'm saying? Like that, that, that speaks more volumes. If you're a tourist and looking from the outside in, I feel like the Salties view does because it kind of captures Seattle. I'm also thinking nighttime. I, like I, daytime South Lake Union. I, 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 I still like I still like yeah. South Lake. Like it's just South Lake. When you look at South Lake Union, you're like, wow. Like look how like look at the wow. This is Seattle. Like look how far we've come. You know what I mean? Like it has more sense of a pride. I more, see all those Amazon buildings now. Yeah, and the the, the view is just way more impressive in terms of what it used to be back then versus what it is now. But on that front end at Salty's, like that's just more of like that picture is for a calendar. You know what I'm saying? That picture is it's it's literally one of those. So which is great. It's a tourist land. Like it's I have hard a little to compete. view of like a a canvas photo of that view up yeah. on the top of my building. And it's yeah. funny because it's like as I watch my TV I have that view and if I go around yeah. the corner it's like I have that view as well. Yeah, I mean it's apples and oranges. It's yeah. nothing to really, you know, beautiful skyline over. regardless. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um but Salties is right here on this view, right? Yep. And I've never heard about Salties till I moved here. My friends are talking to me about good seafood and I'm from Montana. I love seafood and I'd like to brag about Montana seafood, but it's just a little different when you're more inland, right? <laughs> yeah. You get good steaks there. It's a little oh, bit yeah. different All of a day. vibe. That's steak country. <laughs> yeah. But here, you know, the shrimp, the lobster, everything's just awesome. And then I had heard about the um, all you can eat seafood breakfast buffet on yeah. Sunday, 50 yeah. bucks, get everything there. And I was like, damn, this place is a game changer. Yeah. Food is phenomenal. Like one of the more upscale joints that I've been to. So you go from working two jobs in Olive Garden to Salty's. Did you got an in? You got a connection? How the hell did you get that job? Um, I got the I got that job by the skin on my teeth, bro. Like that That's job was I something. <laughs> I was that job was something that I was not um, entitled to, not by no means, and not qualified for. Let's just be honest. Um, but they were asking for three to five years fine dining experience. Olive Garden is zero. I've been in Olive Garden for two years. Olive Garden isn't fine dining, so I technically had zero years <laughs> of fine dining experience. Um, but I remember my interview vividly. You know, did you apply to it? You're like, hey, I want to work here. Oh, I applied. Yeah. Oh, I definitely applied. Um, Just because you knew of the joint, and you're like, damn, I bet you they get fat tips. Or I applied there because of the price point amongst. I applied there in a few other places, but a friend had also told me about that. Just a little bit. He's like, yeah, some, some. When my uncle goes there for the buffet, it's how it looks, but like. Definitely go there. Just understanding like the price point would be worth leaving Olive Garden. Like the whole point of Olive Garden was to, that's like a training ground. Like yeah. you want to leave there and, you know, go Resident. to the Met. Yeah. And go to the, 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 the big steakhouse. You know what I mean? That's the whole idea uh, with Olive Garden. But yeah, that was my plan. You know, I didn't, I didn't get to the big, big steakhouse, but I definitely got to Salty's and that was, that was, that was definitely a big move. But I, I sold myself as a team player for starters. Um, and I sold myself as a hardworking individual that is willing to embrace the learning curve. Um, and more importantly, somebody that you don't have to babysit, uh, someone that's punctual, you know, someone that's going to take the job seriously, someone that's actually going to, you know, represent your brand, you know, all the way through like here and outside of the job. Um, but yeah, I, I sold myself as just, Hey, let's let me get my foot. Like, I promise you, like if God forbid if serving doesn't even work out, like you will you'll find a place for me in this company. Like I'm really willing to bust ass and and, and really prove myself, and and I'm worth a shot. You know, I sold myself. Did you speak like that in the interview? Exactly. They were asking me about why they were like, oh, you know, tell me about some local varietals in the region, and I'm like, you know, um, 
wine is something that I really want to improve on. But anyways, and I literally just diverted to going back to selling out. Uh, yeah, I literally went back to my strengths. I was like, yeah, you know, wine is definitely an area Did that I like to. Did you know shit about wine at all or drink wine No, I, I didn't. I only knew a few bottles. Like, I knew a few tasting notes, but I didn't know anything beyond wine. You know, I really knew that, you know, I just knew the introductory parts of describing wine. So I would describe to you, you know, a Cabernet, it's full body. You got subtle notes of, you know, uh, current berries. And you can even say, you know, um, tobacco, right? It's got a real, real smooth velvety finish. Um, so you're describing the wines, but I didn't know anything really more than the descriptions. Um, I didn't know about the, you know, the varietals where they grow best, you know, how it's stored. I didn't know the nuances and the intricacies, and I didn't know anything about the regions. You know what I mean? Like you're, you're depending on what region you're in, you're only going to get certain types of wine, you know, and knowing what wines grow best in what regions, you know what I mean? That's something that I didn't know, um, either. I didn't know anything about like at all so that that was that was a game changer but during the interview i just sold myself about just being a team player and just being functional and just willing to embrace the learning curve like i was honest i was like hey i'm not like the smartest person but i am the hard working person i am the hustler i won't you know i won't let you down and she gave me opportunity you know and how old were you when you got this job 20 like 24 25 and you still work there right yeah, we we um that I mean yeah <laughs> technically on on as of right now yeah I mean I'm furloughed but I'm technically on yeah. file yeah but and how long have you been working there now? Three and a half years. Okay, so you didn't qualify. You sold yourself on this interview. Yeah. Where did you get that interview experience, or where did you get the confidence to speak like that? Did that just come from within? Had you practiced interviews? That had come before, from that come from prior interviews, um, and I because I think a lot of listeners you know. I think being able to nail an interview is a huge skill in itself. Definitely. You can get any um, job you want if you have the right interview, right? Exactly. And I always felt comfortable in interview settings. For whatever reasons, I, I thrived well um, in an interview setting. Because of always... that debt collector job, man, I'm telling you. Yeah, I was My just... entry-level sales job prepped me so well for interviews, and I started interviewing, and I've done over 100 professional interviews. Yeah. But the reason I am so confident to where I am today is like, dude, if shit hits the fan, I can nail an interview with any company any day. Yeah. And that is such a big skill. So, you know, to the user or to the listeners, like, I really want to touch on this because, like, you come from, you know, a completely different background and yeah. be able to land a job like that. For some people, that's like, yo, yeah. that's like a freaking diamond, you know, that's yeah. like, that's the job that you want yeah. as a server. Like, holy shit. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But yeah, coming in with confidence and just, just knowing your strengths and your weaknesses and your selling, like... One, you really obviously want to memorize your resume, you know. So just by looking at your resume, you already know what your talking points are. Um, but just focusing on that and just articulating them ever so clearly. Um, and then also your body language and communication, you know, your nonverbal communication, you know, your posture. Uh, one thing I'll let you know right now, you have to dress for success. Let's just be honest. I'll, I came with black slacks. Uh, I think I was wearing you know, a purple shirt with a matching, you know, purple tie. Um, and then I had like, I actually had a black belt with a gold buckle and I had a gold watch on, you know what I mean? So I had the purple and gold theme kind of going on. I had a, I had a solid, <laughs> you a husky or what, dog? Nah, that's just what came out that day. I had a solid purple dress shirt 
with a with a paisley purple tie. I like tie. that you remember yeah. the exact oh, yeah. colors and everything. So yeah, no, I'm doing it like <laughs> I, and then I have purple socks that complement to oh, match like damn. I came in, you know, completely fitted ready to go, but yeah, I came dressed up, had a haircut, everything. My presentation was 10 out of 10 and that's something that people got like your presentation is key. I mean like we're just subjective. Like we're all humans. Like man, if someone comes in, you know, looking like a janitor, you're going to assume he's a janitor. That's just what it is. Like, if he comes in looking like a doctor, you're going to think he's a doctor. I don't know what to tell you. You just kind of go off of that. So your appearance does matter. Um, and then doing research on that company. Like, if you can answer, if you can ask the person interviewing you a question that they can't answer, that'll show that you've done your homework. They really love to hear questions about their business really good questions like like you've been snooping on their website or you know asking like if you can trump them that that shows you like you've been doing your research and you're actually serious about that job i'm a journalism major so that was i think probably what abode my strength in interview because i would interview the interviewees i'd always yeah. be asking them like okay yeah you have the open job yeah. i am interviewing for your job why the fuck do i want this job yeah. you know and i kind of come on a little boisterous but like yeah. having that confidence they love that they're like damn this guy's obviously intrigued yeah and he's he's drilling down that sorry to jump in there no you're you're I mean, you're 100 totally right but yeah just doing your homework and not having the table so one-sided like you can have them on their heels like oh man like oh god i gotta do an interview interview that's <laughs> exactly you know what i mean because for a lot of these people and, and i've seen management i haven't been in a management that's one thing i'll i'll, I'll speak on later but um, you like an interview half the time you're sweating or they don't, they just ran out of a meeting. They like, they're like, they, a lot of managers hate interviews. Yeah, exactly. I learned that from serving. Like, she's like, Oh fuck, I got an interview. Okay. Whatever. They just run up. Like you're take you you come in there like it's your life and they're just like, it's just another fucking interview. So kind of keeping that in mind. Um, and then just capping, catching them off guard. Cause at the end of the day, they're not nearly as engaged in this. They're just checking a few boxes and doing an interview so if you can be a wow factor i guess if you can get your interview to stand out more than someone else's interview and in, in in a positive way um that'll be beneficial for you big time so landed the salties gig obviously you've been doing that you got furloughed you started barber shopping and doing that at the same time yeah so i started my little shop last um august See, I was working at Salty's. Um, I started with zero clientele, absolutely nothing. And, um, yeah, I was still working at the restaurant. I didn't think it would be a good move to, um, you know, ditch my restaurant job to build my clientele from scratch. So, you know, everything is appointment only. But, yeah, I figured I'd cut hair in it mornings and afternoon and wait tables at night. There's no need for me to cut hair at 5, 6, 7, 8, That's a lot o'clock. of work, and you were probably making pretty good money at Salty's, right? Yeah, I was making great money at Salty's. Then why the, the fuck would you do both? Well, I believed in the barbering overall in How terms of... Where the hell did that come from? You've been a server twice, debt collecting, and now you want to do barber? Yeah, but more importantly, like, I mean, let's rephrase it. Let's call it like I'm an entrepreneur is what it was. Becoming a barber was my gateway to becoming an entrepreneur. But how did that start? In terms of just my motivation or my I vision. I mean, entrepreneurship, just, like, how does that even, like, so a lot of people, I mean, we hear about business owners and you assume that they've been groomed and prepped to be a business owner their whole life. 
you know, the reason I'm asking you these things is a lot of people have that perception. So it's like, yo, dude, this guy came from Olive Garden, somehow landed a Salty's job, which yeah. everyone would want, want to keep and stay. Yeah. Now you're trying to start your own barbershop that you never have, you don't even have any experience on. So yeah. how did that even come into fruition? I mean, in terms of where I got like my initial hunch that I'd be good at as an entrepreneur is um, when, so there was a stint in between my debt collecting saga where I did get fired, right? So I was unemployed for about six months of the four years, you know, at one point. I had I, I'd actually gotten fired over some dumb stuff, but so I was hanging out with the wrong crowd, blah, 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 and, you know, I was influenced, so... This is early 20s, before the second agency? Yeah, oh yeah, well before the second agency, like, this is like a year into my first job ever, I got okay. fired the next summer, Okay. and then, yeah, you know, I'm still, I'm 20 at the time, I think, yeah, dude, oh my god, I was so young, but yeah, dude, <laughs> uh, but yeah, you know, back then, you know, we started selling weed, you know, that was, a, that was evidently a good idea at the time, you know, and I just remember, you know, just sitting... With two of my homies, we're just sitting on the couch. I'm like, yeah, dude, I got canned, blah, blah, blah. And then we're just sitting there, you know, frustrated, you know, doing our thing, token. And I just vividly remember my buddies, he's like, oh, you might as well start pushing. And I just remember him saying that. Like, I didn't say anything to it. I was just like, what do you mean? And then, like, a week later, like, I was pushing, bro, you know. <laughs> so that's kind of how that happened. But I got the hang of that, like, you know, it's understanding supply and demand, understanding margins, because back then, like, we were working off of points, you know. You get the whole half for, like, 140, and, you know, you're paying all the way to the gram. So, you know, anything short of the gram is what you'd get. So you'd understand that, like, you know, 0.7 from 0.10, that difference of 0.3 is all yours. So that's your margin. So just understanding that, that was, like, the initial fundamental. But Hold that in just a little bit closer for me. That was that was the initial fundamental, you know, in terms of that. But yeah, that I was on that, you know, um, waiting tables at night at Olive Garden, and you know, doing the debt collecting thing. So I had a three income trio coming in. So I, I had a little bit of income, and I could understand like, I could understand business. I remember, you know, the the manager that fired me from Olive Garden. I remember looking at him. I was like, you know, I make I make I make more money than he, and I did. I made like five and a half six grand a month at the time but i i'd worked way more hours like i was working working but still i just looked at him like you know you're not that big of a deal but yeah that's where that first hunch came in and i just i just knew that i wanted to be my own boss i just wanted everything in my hands at the restaurant you're so dependent on so many variables and i was tired of being dependent on all those variables i'm tired of the hostess having to seat me good tables and then the guests have to tip fat and then this table has to get up so this party sits down and these guys are so it's just too many variables i wanted that that i wanted to uncontrollables that and just i wanted to reap what i sow the truth about being a waiter, I, I took pride in it, but you, tr I try hard on every single table. There's not a table that I didn't try hard from the get-go. But the thing is, there's plenty of tables that stiff you or don't, you know, pay you your worth. And that, that gets drilled into you over time, you know what I mean? But you don't get the fortune of knowing beforehand. You just have to give them 100% and see where the chips fall, you know? You can't just be, ra oh, be like, oh, they're Indian. They're not going to spend no money. Like, you got to try. It doesn't matter what race or what background or what the bill is. You got to be genuine all the way through. And if you get tipped, you get tipped. And if you don't, you don't. But you got to get, you got to be genuine. And I was just like, you know what? I love what I do, but 
I'm going to be genuine all the way through, but I need to be compensated for being genuine all the way through. It's just kind of frustrating, you know. But don't get it wrong. As a server, everything adds up. When someone stiffs you, somebody else gives you extra. So it all adds up. But translating, averages, baby. You ain't lying. But when it comes to cutting hair, I don't have to worry about tips. I don't have to worry about ink. I don't have to worry about anything. All I can worry about is just cutting the hair and pouring my heart in what I love to do. What I truly worry about in cutting hair is just making sure I'm within my appointment slots. Um, other than that, I'm doing what I love to do. And I, and, and I get to try extremely hard on every single haircut, 110%. And... You know, they, they, I let the chips fall where they may. If they tip, they tip. But at the end of the day, like I'm gonna, re I'm gonna reap any positive energy that comes out of that. So I guess what I'm saying is, as an industry, like you know, people are like twenty percent is a standard, blah blah blah. So let's say someone comes in, gets a haircut, forty dollars, and leaves a two dollar tip. Right? Most people are like, oh, he's a shitty tipper, blah blah blah. But anyways, I'm gonna try hard and give him my best hair. Like I'm not gonna short his haircut. That's there's no point in doing that over six dollars. But what could happen is he gives me a referral. Okay, not that he was a shitty tipper with the two dollars. Maybe he just doesn't know how to tip. Who cares? But the fact that I was so kind to him and gave him such a good haircut and tried hella hard, that got me a referral. So that's what I mean by you truly reap what you sow. Like, and it doesn't all have to be financially. You know what I mean? It just, I just get to focus on things other than the finances, other than the money. I get to focus on the hair and just building connections and relationships. And just, I get to focus on pouring my heart into what I love to do. And I get to focus on letting the chips fall where they may. Like, it, it's great. Like, and they always fall in my favor. I on it. Like, that's a great thing. So there's a lot there. I, I want to unpack a few of those. Mm -hmm. So you got your first taste of entrepreneurship, but why hair? Is that something that you had thought about doing as a younger adult? Like, did you just feel like that was an easy in? How did you get to that? Um, the hair was just, it was by, it was circumstantial. Um, I needed a side, I needed a second income. It gets slow at Salty's in the winter. Um, so I needed a second income just to offset, you know, the dramatic slowdown in business. And the girlfriend I had at the time, she was telling me, you know, what about just doing something different than getting a job? And then prior to that, I had showed her a flyer with a, t you know, is a $2,500 um, end of year barber tuition down payment special thing. So they were giving out a great discount and she brought that up and I wasn't initially convinced, but what did convince me about becoming a barber is just like one, what my mindset was, Hey, I'm going to invest in, I'm going to take a step back, not make any money this winter, but invest in myself, get some education and, and develop a skill or trade. But I knew worst case scenario, let's say if it doesn't work out, I'll still be able to have it as a siding. I'll still be able to cut my homies for five, 20, five, 10, $15 a haircut on the side. And you know, it'll, it'll be something that no one can ever take away from me if it didn't work. Like, it can't not work out. It'll always be something you can do. You can cut hair. It's just something that's good to know. Um, but, yeah, that's how that started. I didn't know that I would be right place, right time, what right? I am today. Yeah, so, so I, I stumbled in there. and So you went to uh, actual, like, haircutting school? Yeah, I went to Federal Way Barber College. Um, yeah, I got signed up. You know, first haircut, terrible. It was... It was uh, I'm trying to figure out what was worse, my first haircut or my first table. <laughs> uh, I mean, in theory, I, I guess it would have to be my first haircut because that little boy had to wear that haircut for a couple <laughs> weeks. 
the the guy at Olive Garden only wore the smoothie for a couple hours. You know what I mean? Okay. But yeah, dude, that was that was a game changing, a life changing experience. And I found out, you know, haircuts are not easy, not by not by no means. But yeah, I just kind of decided to give that a try. Um, yeah, and and one thing I learned very. This is one thing I, I so I was getting frustrated with the cut in hair, let's be honest. A week into it, like in college? Yeah, at the barber college. I was like I realized I wasn't as good as I thought I was. Obviously that wasn't the point, but the real thing is I it was a lot more difficult than I anticipated. It was extremely difficult. And I felt like I wasn't getting it on that first go. But one thing I know about myself is just like I guess I feel like I'm I could be a little bit of a slow learner in the beginning. But once I get enough repetitions, I can actually, in fact, master it. Um, so I noticed that with bill collecting. My first month, first couple months, I didn't do too well. You know, uh, same thing at Olive Garden. First few t- first few months waiting tables. I didn't do that. Don't give do up, guys. <laughs> I, I, I didn't do very well. But one thing I also know I'm good at is if it's something with repetition, like the doing the same repetitive tasks, oh, I'll be able to master it. Because when you're a debt collector a new account comes up you just do the same talk off like you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again waiting tables you're doing the same thing over and over and over again so when you're cutting hair you're doing the same thing over and over again so it's kind of like that that slow crescendo yeah and then all of a sudden things start picking up and i guess one thing i'm really good at is i'm i'm good at finding nuances and wrinkles and subtleties just so just body just the most finite minute details and and, and and little bits of information i'm really good at picking that up so what i've learned is i just need to carve i just need to get my headway into the game get those repetitions get familiar with it i'm not great at the great at it from the jump but as i get good at it as i get familiar as i start to get better as i start to master it i really get good at i guess hitting that home run stretch you know hitting I guess I'm really good at endurance. I'm really good at outlasting. I'm not fast out the blocks, but man, I can keep going and I can keep going. And I can, I, I, I see students that I went to barber school to this day that gave up on that. You know, we started at the same time. They started before me and I'm still, I'm getting warmed up, bro. Like they quit. I'm, I just, I'm, I'm getting warmed up. <laughs> like it, it's, it's really crazy. It really is. It's all about the process, man. Yeah. And, and uh, some people learn differently, right? You got to yeah. find the process that makes sense in your mind and you can mold it out and, and make it your process. Exactly. Versus, you know, this is the process. Well, it's, there's not always the process, no matter what industry or job you're doing, you can mold it to what it makes sense in your own mind. Yeah. <clears throat> so I appreciate now I understand where the, the hair, the hair came from. Um, but quickly you talked about, you know, it's kind of sensitive, but you got fired from the bill collecting job and you got fired at Olive Garden. Uh, what was Olive Garden? Just like a situational thing, a political Um, thing. So for the bill collecting job, I'd got fired and I got rehired. Um, it's, it's one of those places where they hire people. Let's say you just got out of jail and you just need an opportunity. They'll hire you because it's just it's such a negative affirmation. It's such a difficult job. Like, you know what I mean? You just kind of had to deal with that. So, you know, they were willing to rehire me and nobody wants to be a bill collector. Let's be honest. So their pool, their hiring pool, high uh, turnover rate, I'm sure. Oh yeah. The high turnover to, to that's like, it's got a higher turnover rate than a revolving door at, at the Marriott <laughs> hotel or something like it, it's on a whole, but, but nobody wants to, it's got a high turnover rate and nobody wants to do it to begin with. Cause it, 
it's the nature of the job, you know. But having that happen twice, a lot of people would be like, shit, you know, so was Olive Garden, Olive, was it a situational thing? Olive Garden was like, yeah, kind of, put, well, Olive Garden was just, Olive Garden was, so we had a new boss that came in. And the new boss came in like he was a new sheriff in town. <laughs> he came in like a dictator. Like, I won't lie, the, the GM before, Sarah, she was she was easygoing, evidently. I guess she had some stuff going on at home. But she was pretty easygoing. She didn't really see too much. She wasn't too strict. She'd get on you on a few things. But it's pretty easygoing. And it was pretty lax there for quite a while. And then this dictator came in. Somebody just trying to clean things up and, like, you know, tie up all these loose ends and just, you know, fire. He fired a couple people, but like he was firing people just like he was ruthless. And he had fired like three or four people, you know, before me. And, and it was just somebody who, who just thought he knew everything, you know what I mean? Um, but he was an immigrant. So he had this sense of like justification to him. I don't know how to explain it. Like, it's just something that he I had about I was just curious of the situation. Cause... But yeah, so him and I didn't see eye to eye. And then, you know, he just, he decided to fire me because I threatened a co-worker. Yeah, I had, I had lost, I had actually lost it for one of the first times. Sometimes maybe my only it. time, but I lost it on my dishwasher. Oh, I lost it, bro. <laughs> it, and it was, it was, it was funny, like. I'd taken a large party. We'd shared a you know a party of ten. Can you believe it or not? Two servers for ten people, and they were all adults. We get a we get a six dollar tip on on a hundred. The bill was, like ninety nine dollars or something. No, the bill was ninety three dollars, and they gave us a hundred bucks. So we made seven dollars for two people. Damn. For two and a half for a two hour party, hour and a half. And I'm going in there. I'm kind of pissed, and then. So I'm clearing the table. And when I go back to the dish pit, so there, Olive Garden, like, they stack all their plates. Like, they have they have certain specific plates for specific entrees, like a, a, a pasta plate, a rigatoni plate, because you don't want the noodles spilling over. And then depending on what kind of sauce is on the plate, you got to, it has to be able to hold it. So long story short, I came in there, and you got to stack your plates according to the types of plates. And we have all sorts of plates because with the setup. But... <laughs> Yeah, so I didn't stack my plates. I just dumped my shit over there because, you know, I don't want to put... I just didn't want to stack them, dude. I was just like, here's the fucking shit, you know what I mean? I was being a little bit, I guess, selfish. Maybe, I guess you could argue lazy or selfish, whatever it was. But I was just in a bad mood. I would argue I was being more selfish and thinking about how myself and how pissed off I was because of my table and my serving situation. And I wasn't thinking about the dishwasher. So I was being so I was making his life more difficult over something that had nothing to do with him. And getting stiffed is part of the game. But that's beside the point. But yeah, he started yelling at me. He's like, hey, man, how come he, he, I, don't, I can't even remember? He said something along the lines of like, why can't you ever, you know, put your um, put your dishes ever right? You know, it's just talking <laughs> smack. And then like I may have misheard him. I don't know. Like. Maybe I felt like he said a racial slur, like you know what I mean. I may have misheard him. Maybe I, maybe he didn't. Maybe, but that was it was too late. I'd blow up. Just snapped him. Yeah. Yeah. So I just cursed him out, threatened him. <laughs> like it was hostile. Like everybody stopped what they were doing. Like it it was bad. Like like I got mad. I told, I threatened. I was like, let's go outside and fight. I'll like beat your fucking ass. Like Dang. let's go. Like bro. Like I was like. I just vividly remember, I turned around and I saw this new hire and like, she was like, 
her i her it, 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 you see that vincent van gogh picture with the goat like that one like that's what it looked like her eyes were out of her sockets bro she was scared so yeah you know after that point the the manager literally fired me over that you know because i was threatening somebody and yeah, that's pretty but, deep yeah but i lost it did you still Just, have the debt collecting job after you got fired after that yeah so point yeah. being, you had been fired from a couple jobs. Like maybe a lot of people or people that yeah, go I was through at, this. I was at another agency at the yeah. time. but yeah. I mean, that's a lot to overcome. And some people just yeah. kind of give up, right? Or like, maybe I can't do this. Or maybe I should just give up on my dreams. Yeah. You know, push comes to shove. You end up at uh, Salty's, which is a pretty high class joint. You sold yourself. You have yep. the confidence. And then you ended up wanting to be in barber school. Now you're an entrepreneur. That's quite the, you know, the path. And I don't think... Anyone could envision a path like that. And that's how I think business and entrepreneurship really turns out. Is yeah. It's just like you end up finding yourself there and you natural, find out, yeah. finding yourself in the right connections. Exactly. And now you've been cutting hair for a while and you talked about not being good at it. He's fucking awesome at it. Like I was super impressed. Had a great impression. That's why I wanted to have him coming on. He took things very seriously. You even walked me through a lot of the process. Yeah. Like that was super cool to see. Um, but, you know, what would you relate to the viewers of like what helped you get there and like, you know, how you feel now. I mean, you've only been doing it for a while. You have a long ways to go, but yeah. you know, what, what's that experience like and what do you feel like help you help get you there? Um, I mean, honestly, the, the experience is rewarding. Um, it's definitely thrilling. There's a, there's a, a good amount of uncertainty, you know, layered in there. Um, but yeah, one of my biggest tickets has just been, you know, perseverance and just belief, you know, um, but the belief didn't come right away. But what did kind of come right away, what I always had was that perseverance, you know, so through persevering, gradually, you know, shed a little bit more light um, into my belief until one day, you know, you get to that point of no return where you're absolutely sold on being an entrepreneur. Um, but yeah, that first step, you know, you're pretty much going to every business, every every entrepreneur, that first step is in faith. You know what I mean? You don't know what you're stepping into, but you take that first step in faith and then you bet on yourself. You know, that's essentially what you're doing. Uh, once you bet on yourself and realize that, you know, that panned out and you, 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 you took the higher side of that and it worked out to bet on yourself, then you double down on yourself and you're like, OK, I'm going to be serious. Like this is truly like it's legit. You know, it, 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 it's working. It's working. Let's do this for real, for real. And then you get to the point where um, I'm at, as of just not very, very long ago, is the point where you go all in. Um, and when you go all in, like I'm talking about, like, I'm willing to sacrifice everything that has came before this point to whatever, you know, for whatever is going to um, come afterwards. Close so your back doors. It, it, exactly. It's, it's not necessarily like it, it's, yeah, I guess you're closing your back doors, but one thing I've learned also in life is like you have to take a step back to go for it, like to leap forward. You know what I mean? Like in, in taking a step back also includes letting go of things. Sometimes that just might be all it ever is. But I moved from a 2,600 square foot apartment to a 400 square foot studio. Okay, the 2,600 I, squared with, I shared with two other people. But still, I went from a big place with three bedrooms and three bathrooms to not even a bedroom and just one bathroom it's a studio you know what i'm saying so being able and that was a difficult trend just letting go of all letting go of my grill letting go of just my fish tank just letting go of all these big things like that was hard but i had to take that step backward to 
make this to take the step forward. But yeah, definitely just perseverance and and ultimate self belief and just knowing that uh, you got to believe in yourself long before somebody else ever does. You know what I mean? Like you you just have to believe in yourself. You got to be your biggest cheerleader. Like you have to figure out a way to keep that candle lit inside of you. Do not ever let that candle get you know get blown out because there's people trying to blow out your confidence all day every day i promise you so you just got to guard that you know with the two little hands that you have because there's holes there's little cracks in between your hands but you got to guard it's just like trying to light a lighter in the wind you know you just got to keep that thing lit it's not easy but it, it through perseverance you're, you're going to create belief and confidence and everything else is going to fall into place but you just got to persevere and just push through and just keep working hard um, and just keep doing your thing, and it'll all come together. That's some real shit and some inspiring stuff, yeah. so I appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> how did you fund... So you talked about earlier in the yeah. pod, talking about getting your own space in this lady's setup. Mm-hmm. Is that all just personal funding? Did you take out a loan? Like A lot of people think, like, well, if I want to run my business, I have to have all this money to fund it. So like, no. did that just come from personal money from Salty Savings? Exactly, like- exactly. So yeah, I'm completely... like Everything is just self-made. So yeah, no loans, nothing... I mean, the bank, I mean, they gave me a credit card, but no, I didn't take out no big loan to start my business. But yeah, it's all self-funding from Salty's, really. And I didn't have a lot of money at the time when I started my shop because prior to my shop, oh, I think I'd, I'd started my journey like maybe at least 15 months prior. So I'd been losing money. I paid for school. I'm skipping out shifts at Salty's, like my focus at like... I lost a lot of money through the process of going to school and learning how to cut hair. I sacrificed a lot of time that I otherwise would have been at Salty's or generating revenue to spending time learning for free, not for free, but paying, actually paying to learn and not getting paid. I spent a lot of hours. I think I worked 2000 hours a year before um, I started cutting hair. The year that I was actually cutting hair, um, I think I worked like, 1200 hours at salties that was last year and then this year obviously with the pandemic it's like nothing but my hours came down drastically you know i wasn't picking up that sixth day that extra shift every you know single week i was just focused on my craft so yeah by the time i got into actually starting my own venture no i was i was pretty much living a little bit more than check to check i didn't have a boatload of money saved up but yeah it was all personal funding i made a down payment i just you know she asked for a deposit the rent is she asked for a $1,500 uh, deposit, you know, so I put that amount down on top of the rent. And, you know, um, that day when I gave the night after I'd given her the money, I, my head hits the pillow, you know, I wasn't sure. I wasn't sure if I'd made the right move. Like I had honestly second guessed myself. I was like, man, did I like, I purchased a, a, a back room studio, but that studio had nothing in there. It was just white walls. It was just a clean room. It was just an empty slate. It didn't have a barber chair, no lights, no nothing. So I had to just create something out of nothing. Um, and I didn't know what I was getting into myself. I, I really didn't know. I, I just, I took a bet and I was just like, hey, I got no choice. The other option was to go to, federal way rent and just outside of west seattle to cut hair because where the real barber shops are at those were my two options so i was like hey you know what i'll just bet on myself here and see where that happens instead of commuting every day to go booth to go pay booth rent somewhere else in another city so they say the average business you know roughly if you do take out a loan takes five years to make a profit Mm -hmm. you invested in your own studio personal money 
are you profiting now? Are you still putting money into your investments? Like, you know, he's got the setup for a little space. He's got yeah. a little TV. He's got the, the steamer. He's got, I don't know, you were showing me all the shit. I was like, dude, I've never had a facial. I've never had any of the shit that yeah. he did in a haircut, and it was awesome. But we were talking. I was like, what's your overhead? What are you making? And it seemed like he had it all down pat. Like, do you feel like you're in a place of profit? Obviously, you want it to keep skyrocketing. But, I mean, or has it all been back invested in the business? Yeah, it's been more back invested in the business. But it is definitely profitable at this point. But the profits are still, you know, far, far ahead. It's especially with the way I got, you know, my vision and my, my ideas scoped out. But yeah, definitely it's something that's profitable. Um, but I'm one to reinvest in the business. And that comes back to the point where when I said, you know, you got to bet on yourself. And then you got to double down. So when you're doubling down, that's when you're like, okay, actually, instead of paying myself, I'm going to reinvest the com- back into the business, right? I'm going to reinvest it. And that's what I've been doing. And then now you get to the point where you're just going all in. You're, you, and and for me, that's that's the step to get to shop ownership. You know what I mean? Like um, purchasing a barbershop and purchasing a business. I'm taking that step to become an owner. I'm sacrificing salties all the money, everything I've gained up until this point to become a shop owner because I firmly believe a, a, a entrepreneur barbershop owner can get me f- much farther than what my past has brought me today. And much farther, is that like the creme de la creme barber? Do you want to have other business moves? Like what's the future vision hold for Percy the barber? Um, honestly, the, the honestly, it's kind of hard to pinpoint. The future is just going to unfold. Um, but what I will say for a fact is the barbering is 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 basically the platform um, that everything's going to be built on going forward. And that platform is going to open up other doors for other ventures. So prime example, like Salty's was a platform that built my barbering career. If it wasn't for Salty's, if it wasn't for me able to go there to work and pay my bills and get through, get me through school and get me through the building clientele phase, like I wouldn't be here today. But Salty's built the financial framework and it also built like, the experience and and I'm tired of working for the man framework. You know what I mean? You get to a point where you see their social security, like you just you're collecting check and check and like how long like how long is this gonna go on? Like you clock in, you clock out, you work your shift, you get paid, you clock in. Just how long is that truly gonna go on? So you get to that point, um, you have that crossroads. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah, that's kind of how that's kind of how it happened. So if I somehow am from Seattle, listen to this. Hopefully we get a good Seattle base going. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, like, I used to go to sports clips. It was cool watch the game, yeah. a half-ass haircut. Maybe I'd get the same lady that would cut my shit different. I have a calic up here. It's like, girls don't know how to cut my fucking curls. It's just a fucking mess. I want to have someone that's consistent. Why should I go to Percy the Barber? Uh, consistency is all I preach all day, every day. Uh, the key is consistency. Um, I work with clients that come in every single week or every single two weeks. So if you're a short-haired client like I used to be, you get like a number one on top and in a straight line, or your hair grows, or your hair regrows back in a few days, or you need that haircut every single week, then yeah, consistency is key. You're gonna need a barber that can deliver the same haircut week in and week out with her eyes closed. Um, but the consistency is more in the haircut. The consistency is in the energy. The consistency is in the ambiance. The consistency is in the online booking. The consistency um, is in everything I deliver as a total package. Um, consistency to me is 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 variance. One of my um, go-to references or models or leaders or 
visionaries or people who I really see who do a great job of variance is, is, is McDonald's. Um, when was the last time you went to McDonald's and a Big Mac did not taste the same as the last time? <laughs> like, just name one time. You'll I will never, say, you'll never find a chicken I'm nugget that tastes different. I'm not much of a fast food guy, but goddamn, that McDouble never fucking disappoints. It, it, it's, it's, it's not that it doesn't disappoint. It's the fact that it never doesn't meet expectations. Like, it, it's never not the last. So how can it disappoint when it tastes the same every single time? So that predictability. So the reason why you find yourself there at a fast food joint or specifically McDonald's is because they are consistent. It's not that you want the food or it tastes great or X, Y, and Z. It's that you can predict the outcome. You know how long you're going to be in the drive-thru. You know that you're going to pay with your debit card. You know what the receipt's going to look like. You know what the sauces smell like. You know how you crumple up the bag or how you tear open the bag <laughs> and pour out all the fries and dip the ketchup. Like It's all systematic, and it's just so consistent and that end result like you'll hit that flavor profile on your palate then your belly will be full then you'll throw away the trash like it's so systematic and that's kind of why you're there so i've set up my um my whole brand to be you know convenient and in that manner you know i've set it up intentionally it's four clicks four buttons to book an appointment you know what i mean if you want to book and you can book an appointment in 20 seconds like less than that if you just if you pulled out your phone it doesn't take long at all uh, if you know what you already want you can book an appointment in 15 though you're gonna spend the only time you're gonna spend is looking for what time you want to come in other than that it's all pretty straightforward all right a couple questions for you so going through this I appreciate you giving the story giving us some honest Intel that was really inspiring I think it's cool to see just the background to where you are today like Coming in, the vibe and the ambiance that you had in your barbershop, I would have never known the story of Percy. So that that, that was really cool for me to hear even. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about some of the, the hardships. We've talked about some of them, but yeah. maybe you mentioned it already and it's just simply relating to that. But what would you say is one of the darkest and hardest times that you've been through as a professional that you had to push through and keep going? Was it one of the times that you got fired? Was it your first time opening up the barbershop? Like, what was that? Uh, yeah, definitely the first time opening up the shop and kind of going on my own and setting up my one-man independent shop. I was leaving. Um, at that time, I was working at Walden Barber. So it's like a luxury supercuts, if you know. It's like the highest-end supercuts, you know, uh, one of the higher-end ones that you can find. Um, so I left a steady, I wouldn't say comfortable income, but I left a steady income, a guaranteed income for uncertainty. So that was one of the most difficult times is just making that decision to just go on my own and truly bet on myself. That was the first step. Once I had done that and secured the place and, you know, paid the 1500 deposit and the rent and all that stuff, um, then I quickly realized that I didn't have any clients. I mean, I already knew I didn't have any clients, but I quickly realized that, like, I was doing one, maybe zero haircuts a day. And that went on for weeks. That might have went on for the first, you know, six to eight weeks until you start getting to two or three you know so it took a while to really get the thing going and churning consistently but those were probably the most difficult days of my experience I mean it's like it's really hard to look up at the board and you know post five haircuts in a seven day work week like you're just kind of like bro like what, what kept you going uh, the fact that I was already knee deep into it and I just <laughs> it's just like I'm committed now, baby. <laughs> well yeah, I'm committed and it's it's one I always knew it's a commodity, it's hair. It's just a matter of time, you know what I mean? And then 
also I knew that like I was new like it's kind of hard to like you got to factor in like you just got into the game you just got your barber license let's say I'm talking about myself right I got my barber's license as an example today I'm ready to cut hair okay well today I don't have any experience but I'm coming up to you hey Shay, I need a haircut you know can you or your let me cut your hair you know let me be your barber I want to bring you in as a client you've already been getting a haircut for years from another barber you know what I mean? And there's been nothing wrong. Why would you change? Or you just got a luxury haircut for a hundred bucks. Why on earth would you go to a newbie for $10? You know what I mean? So it's kind of hard to build that clientele. It's hard to get people to fix something that isn't broken. People aren't necessarily, not a lot of people have a broken barber situation. I mean, a, pro a lot of people do, they just don't know, but they're not, there's just not that market. Like it's kind of hard to be Eventually, you'll find your guy and you'll stick with something that just works for you. You know what I mean? That's kind of what the barber game is. It's just finding. So it's kind of hard to get people to nudge, you know, and just and just go from one barber to another. It's loyalty. It's friendship. It's the haircut. There's a lot of things. It's just not necessarily something that you flip flop. How about this? You seem like a pretty independent guy in myself, but I definitely have some influences and some people that I would give a shout out to help me to that's helped me get to where I am today. Do you have anybody that you want to give a shout out or do that you feel was a big inspiration or just help motivate you through some of this professional experience? Uh, yeah, definitely. I feel like um, I have a, you know, a bunch of people that I could shout out and definitely say um, I've gathered inspiration from because I'm one to just collect as much knowledge as I can from all different sources um, and bring it together and, 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 and truly see where the value is, you know. Um, yeah, I would definitely shout out like Morano. He's somebody online that um, has been big for me on Instagram. Uh, I've actually gone out to DC and taken uh, one of his barber classes. So it's it's definitely been um, someone who I've obviously seen as a mentor and someone who I aspire to be like um, at the very least. But yeah, that's definitely someone who's helped me out. Um, my financial advisor, you know, Taya, she's been awesome. She's been She's been magical, you know, to be honest with you. She's been a game changer for me. Is she and, by herself or work with a firm? Yeah, she works with a firm. She she actually owns a firm, Pacific Coast Financial. Uh, she's actually out here on Alki. So Shout right out, right? Yeah, yeah, literally. So if you guys need any financial advice, if you got a nest egg and you don't know what to do with, man, I'm telling you, Taya will definitely um, give you, put all the options at your table and, and, and just let you know that, like, uh, you're really in charge and it's a small company like it's tight knit it's great it's like small business is exactly what you want it's not no you know charles schwab or fidelity <laughs> or robbing you for all your money you know charge that overhead baby yeah <laughs> <coughs> I, I work at a public company so we got fidelity i love the shit out yeah, of it. but i ain't overhead. going to fidelity for a small conversation about the no. nitty-gritty i'm just no. like yo what, what the fuck does this mean? Okay, exactly. how do I put more of the stock in here? Oh, exactly. All right. <laughs> exactly. Um, any, anybody close, personal, outside of professional? I mean, honestly, like, it's so hard to think. I have so many. I'm so professional these days. I have to think pretty far back to find, like, I guess you could say... I mean, I guess definitely my ex-girlfriend would definitely be a big-time inspiration. She got you in a barbershop, of, right? Like, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But, yeah, it's been so, you know, professional for so long, especially, you know, with her. Her would be the most recent one. But, yeah, it's been, you know, it's kind of hard to really 
uh, pinpoint, but a lot of those came at RPM, you know what I mean? A lot of those personal inspirations. I had a lot of people sit me down and just be like, hey, you know, just don't be like me, bro. Just, you know, you, you got some, just do the right thing, bro. Just, I know bringing attention to yourself and, you know, doing flashy stuff and all this stuff is, is seems cool and it's a way to be, but it's just not worth it. Like, it's not worth sitting in, in jail or just, you know what I mean? It's just really not worth it. Just honestly live a law-abiding life, bro. Let's just be honest. <laughs> How about this? Do you have a hum most humbling moment? Yeah, my most humbling moment is when I got out of barber school and realized I had zero clients and I was nobody and, just like and the I was end. just I was just I just I was nobody in this world. Just nobody. Absolutely no one. Like just no one. That was probably the most humbling experience in just coming out and building my clientele for the very first time. To the point where I had to go to an hourly place because it was so like, dude, it's yeah, that was the most right the moment I got my license. The moment I got a station, got set up, I found this little small shop in West Seattle. It's ran with these two ladies. It's really one lady and her friend, and it's not a real barber shop. It's not a barber barber shop, but it is, <laughs> it is a barber shop. Um, how about highest to high? Is there a moment that you've had through these jobs or at the barber shop where you're like, hell yeah, I'm on my way? I mean, my highest moments have been my most recent moments in the past, uh, you know, I would say like in the past 90 days have been my highest moments. I feel like my highest moments in terms of my barbering career are, you know, the most recent moments. I feel like, I mean, you know, honestly, let's just be honest. My highest moment, in my barbering career would be today. You know, today would be the most recent moment, but I truly believe that tomorrow is going to be a higher moment today than today. I truly believe that I'm progressing. So it, like, Every day, I fall more and more in love into it. Every day becomes higher than the next because the journey is unfolding. Like, I'm making more progress. Yeah, my like, I I I won't tie it to any finances or anything like that. But just every day has to be higher than the next. So the journey is just you're making progress and you're getting to another stage of the journey. Whether it's up or down, it's still another stage. And overall, if you were to put it on a on a chart, like. Like you would a stock, you know, stocks are volatile day in and day up. But overall, that thing is trending upwards. So, yeah, you're down on it. But if you look at the previous site, you're still overall trending upwards. So it's kind of hard to really disagree. But Cheers to that. Yeah, you ain't lying. Cheers, <laughs> my man. And then uh, last question before we wrap it up. Is there a habit that you've had as a professional or a young professional that you've had to force yourself to grow out of to be to where you are today? Man, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, what's really hit me is there's a habit that I want to work on to get rid of. I can't pinpoint a habit that I've had to change to help me get to where I am today. But I do know a habit that I would like to change that I feel like is hindering me that might stop me from getting to where I want to get to tomorrow. So if that kind of answers your question, it would definitely be my morning routine. Um like that that so as i previously described like so I, I was honest with you guys it's a work in progress it's something that you know i'm not doing to a t but something i'm aware of and definitely uh have a game plan on it i know exactly what i need to be doing but yeah definitely i want to be more productive and just more strategic and more more streamlined and routine in the morning aspect of my day 
Um, cause I feel like I'm a pretty routine and streamlined person, but I don't get to that till I'm at work or the back end or, you know, when the day's almost over, then am I really getting organized and just more efficient, but I need to do that from the jump. I need to do it from the get go. So when I wake up, I need to be disciplined. You know what I'm saying? Start with my meditation, um, hit my quick exercise, cold shower, breakfast, you know, coffee, cell phone, blah, 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 media, but just start with that routine and just, just start with that morning routine and get some consistency about how the day starts. I feel like that's an area, you know, that I could greatly improve on. I feel like I'm making up for it in the middle of the day. You know what I mean? Like I have two parts to my day with the way I set up my schedule. So like, and I don't eat in the morning either. So I just kind of like, I wake up, you know, waste time, get ready, go to work, cut hair and then when I come back after my lunch break for the second half of my day that's when I'm like Mm -hmm. really that's like okay I'm awake like that's when I'm on my p's and q's like I feel like everything prior to that is you know something that I can definitely improve on um but yeah that's one thing and just that's a habit that I just definitely you know want to kick is just something that I hope hope keep going yeah, this is just something that, you know, I'm a kick, but I'm aware of it and I'm working on it. But just, yeah, just being productive in that morning morning block of your day. I can relate to that, man. I'm focused on mine. That's a big piece of my, my everyday as well. And I think being aware of it feeds the subconscious, as you had talked about. You yep. keep feeding that subconscious. It'll turn into actions and results. But exactly. uh, I think a consistent morning <clears throat> routine is a huge difference. And that's definitely a focus of mine. So I can relate. Um, but yeah, man, I, I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, Percy dude. the Barber, like I it said, awesome. the experience was awesome. To be honest with you guys, if I would have known half the shit I know about this guy before I went to the barbershop, I wouldn't have believed it. I felt like the guy had been running the shop for a long time, ran me through the experience. I never really had a proper barbershop experience before that. Grew up in Montana, Wyoming. It's just usually the local shops that you have. You have to go to them because there's only like two or three options. Moved yeah. out to a city, went to just the fucking big chains because I didn't know any better and didn't want to spend too much of my hair because I feel like it's just a simple haircut. But, you know, awesome experience. I'll definitely be coming back. Look forward to, uh, you know, watching you progress. And for everybody out there that wants to follow you, potentially get a haircut experience, you know, what's your socials? And yeah, what, you can, where, where you can, can find you? You can find me on Instagram. Um, I'm hashtag Percy the Barber or at Percy the Barber. Uh, more importantly, you can find me online at percythebarber.com. Um, that's my website. You can book an appointment, see my services, read my bio, get all the information you need, email. Honestly, if you want to just snoop on me or just have any questions, just find me just right at percythebarber.com. Um, yeah, it was an absolute pleasure having you, dude. You, you're honestly like one of the most awake clients I've ever encountered with just the, just, just the vibe right off the bat. You know what I mean? Just, just after we got par- after we got past the Steelers standpoint you know what I mean it just I was like man this guy is super smart like he's he's on a whole nother level and and I speak entrepreneur and so do you so when I felt that energy it, it, it it's it's something that I recognize immediately um but yeah it's, this podcast has been awesome bro it's been something that I've like it's something that I've thought of wanting to do but it was great to just come and get the experience you know and I'm glad that you liked your experience. So that's what I'm all about. It's just being experienced for it. A lot of people, a lot of guys don't know that they need that experience. You guys work hard. You're head of household, you know, your breadwinners, X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? So you got to make sure that you take care of yourself. Um, and it's, 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 it's easy to miss. It's easy to miss that these days. It really is. But yeah, I'm glad you had a great experience. That's what I'm all about. Um, I truly believe an experience will separate, 
you know, what I do from what anybody else does. And at the end of the day, the experience is all I got to sell. You know, a haircut is a haircut. You can get that done anywhere. Uh, but the experience you got, you, you cannot get that anywhere else. Um, and at the end of the day, like, you always leave as a winner. Any client that leaves my shop is always the winner. Because if they never come back to my shop, that's totally cool. But they will always remember my shop. They will always remember my experience. And people pay tens and thousands and millions of dollars for lasting experience, lasting one-time experiences. They'll spend $60,000 on a wedding. You know, they spend, you know, quarter million dollars on school. You know, those are lasting experiences. You know what I mean? Like, at least I know in five, 10 years from now, if you never get a haircut, you'll never forget that haircut. And that justifies the price point. You know what I mean? That that justifies everything. And I feel like mission accomplished. You know what I mean? And and at the end of the day, it's not a haircut. It's an experience. So, boom, there it is. Yeah, I you mean, know? I'll say I, I couldn't put a price point on it. It changed the vibe of everything and just what I know of haircuts. So it was awesome. And, you know, like you said, I'm glad you came on. If you're looking to do a podcast, love to help anybody else out there looking to do a podcast. Obviously, I'm just getting off the ground. Like I said, I'm committed to this thing. I ain't fucking going anywhere. Oh, yeah, he's this committed. He's about, like, and I wouldn't be here if he wasn't committed. <laughs> like, like, I just had this feeling, like, I knew when you sent me the email, that's when I knew you were committed. I was like... <laughs> Because this guy hits me. He's like, yeah, podcast. I'm like, yeah, great. You know, whatever. I'm, I'm doing my own thing. My And I see an email pop up on my on my, on my my screen. I'm like, who's going to click it? I'm just like, oh, my God. This guy is serious. He's got a header, a logo. I'm like, And I Google. I'm just like, okay, he's real deal. Hold, all right, I'll be there. You know what I mean? And it's immediately like I know. I, I could just feel like once you become an entrepreneur, once you understand the business, like you know when people are serious, like, I had another guy who I worked with. He's kind of, he does like websites and, you know, graphic design and SEO and stuff like that. So this guy, he was consulting me about my website, you know, just giving me advice and stuff like that. This guy sends me a video. The video is a picture in person, a a PIP with a voiceover. So there's a video of him navigating his, his computer screen. He's navigating my website and talking about my website. And I can see my whole website right in this video. And at the bottom corner of the video is a picture of him in his studio, like, interacting. And I can see that, too. So he's like, hey, you see that over there? And he's just walking through my website. And I'm just like, this guy, okay, like, that's how you analyzed my site? Okay, he's legit. You know what I mean? Like, he's not some guy just trying to get a couple hundred bucks. Like, he knows what he was doing. So that's something that you displayed right off the bat. And I can, you know, I deal with people all the time that want to engage in business. And, you know, you also have to protect yourself and understand that, like, not all business engagements are legitimate. You know what I mean? Not everyone's, not everyone's 100% legit. You know what I mean? But yeah, you got your business. You got every year. You're, you're in it. Like I see, I see the logo. Like I, I see it. Like you're shout out Hammer Strength, Hammer Strength Construction, the, yes. the Leffler brothers for helping me out. You know, I got a team around me. It's, it wasn't by mistake that it, this happened. But like I said, I'm committed. I'm here to help people out. I think that's huge to relay the message because everyone feels like they see someone successful. Maybe they can't reach out or they're intimidated to reach out. Like if you have a passion, something you want to drive by, yep. like I'm here, we're here to help. That's the whole vision of, of the business side of business of buckets. Uh, even though I'm a massive sports guy and there'll be a lot of buckets involved. But yeah, I appreciate it, man. Uh, I'll, I'll share your socials once we make this go live. And oh, I yeah. appreciate it anymore. But 
Um, yeah, no, I appreciate it. It's, it's been a pleasure. I mean, like, honestly, thanks for having me big time, bro. I'm, I'm really glad I, I came out and got to experience this. And it's just definitely something that I look forward to doing. And, you know, God, hopefully if I don't get too many repetitions, I might not get too good, you know? So, like, hey, right, you yeah, watch I mean, you out. keep growing just your business. Out. We'll keep growing the pod. We'll have yeah. you back on. We'll tell the future story. You ain't lying. We'll have a podcast in the barbershop. With All the right, brother. Well, I appreciate yeah, it, my thank man. Thank you, man. Appreciate All it. All right, we're out of here.